full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, when last we were together, Star Wars Episode Nine was without a director. The news was fresh that Colin Trevorrow was out. And people were placing bets on who was it going to be? Was it going to be Joe Johnston? Was it going to be George Lucas? No. <laughs> The smart money was on Ryan Johnson, but he turned it down. Said he had no intentions of doing it. And who did they get? Well, it's official. J.J. Abrams stepping back into the director's seat for Episode 9. We've got uh, the details about that, sparse as they are, but we'll talk about them. Plus, uh, director John Landis has spoken out about the recent Lucasfilm firings. So it'll be interesting to hear what his take is on all of that. Plus, Mark Hamill becomes an icon, according to GQ magazine. But I think we've all known that Mark Hamill has been an icon for quite some time. Plus, we've got uh, uh, recent statements from Ryan Johnson and Harrison Ford as they make their rounds uh, promoting films and doing the, uh, the PR circuit. Plus, more voicemails from you and a very special guest in the cantina this week. We talked about it last week. Uh, the one, the only, Charlie Ross from the One Man Star Wars trilogy. We have not spoken to Charlie in uh, quite some time, so it'll be great to touch base with him as he prepares for his appearance in uh, Chicago coming up and the uh, Arcata Family Theater at Pheasant Run in St. Charles on Saturday, September 23rd. Uh, Charlie's going to be there, and you know who else is going to be there? My good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yes, totally looking forward to seeing Charlie Ross. Charles Ross, the one-man Star Wars trilogy return to the Chicago area. Always a great time. Looking forward to getting together with a bunch of Rebel Force Radio listeners for the big event next Saturday. Hey, guess what? We are 90 days away from The Last Jedi hitting the silver screen. That's right. Three months, exactly 90 days can you believe it? Gosh, it's beautiful summer weather out here in, in my area, and hard to believe that we're three months away from freezing cold weather, but 
awesome new Star Wars. And so looking forward to getting together with everyone out here in the uh, Chicago suburbs. Uh, if you'd like to be part of our opening night get-together at uh, location TBD, it's going to be December 14th, opening night. I love night. that place. Yeah, TBD. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You, you have to bring valid ID to get in, though. Uh, like TGIF. Yeah, TBD, have ID to go to TBD. But uh, no, I mean, it's we're closing in on location, and um, I'm, I'm really excited about it, and uh, we'll have a get-together so we can all see The Last Jedi together for the first time on December 14th, opening night here in the Chicago suburbs. Jason's going to be here. I'm building up um, quite a list of people, uh, a mailing list of people who are interested in joining us that night. So it's growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, it promises to be an amazing and historic event for all Star Wars fans. So that's The Last Jedi, Jason, 90 days away from today. Can't wait. All right, let's get into it. We've got big headlines right here, right now, Star Wars Episode Nine, new director. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Yes, Lucasfilm made it official with a announcement, short and sweet, that came out just a matter of a couple of days after the firing of Colin Trevorrow. The statement said, J.J. Abrams, who launched a new era of Star Wars with The Force Awakens in 2015, is returning to complete the sequel trilogy, as writer and director of Star Wars Episode Nine, Abrams will co-write the film with Chris Terrio. Star Wars Episode Nine will be produced by Kathleen Kennedy, Michelle Rejwan, Abrams, Bad Robot, and Lucasfilm. Quote, with The Force Awakens, J.J. delivered everything we could have possibly hoped for, and I am so excited that he is coming back to close out this trilogy, said Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy. Star Wars Episode Nine is scheduled for release on December 20th, 2019. So, J.J. already leaving his mark on this film by changing the release date instead of May 2019. It's going to be December 2019. Jim, this is a move that we've seen J.J. make once before. Actually, twice before. I'm optimistic about the choice to bring back J.J. Abrams so we can finish what he started. I will finish what you started. How many times did I see that meme pop up on social media over the last few days? It's been, it's been hilarious. A lot of um, fan feedback and backlash to this announcement. Um, I, I, I have to say, I'm a little shocked that in the wake of the announcement that J.J. Abrams is returning to Star Wars, it, it's so different from when it was announced that he was going to be directing the force awakens it was almost like there was a jubilant reaction amongst fandom it seems like he's the right guy to to fill the that chair that that position with star wars and uh from all accounts um the force awakens was a financial and critical success please fans everywhere but now it seems like all fans want to do is just complain about tfa uh because jj's coming back um, I'm yeah. just looking at some statements here online on uh, the Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. You know, I hope he doesn't copy Return of the Jedi. Um, 
Uh, now he can tie up Ray's backstory since he avoided it the first time around. Now, that's a good comment to make, I think. And I think that's a fair comment to make. I think J.J.'s just sort of threw out these mysteries without any sort of comprehension or even idea about how they would be resolved. It's almost like it, it was it was a, a mixed-up Rubik's Cube. Um, well, I was thinking, you know, we were talking about uh, improv comedy uh, last week, and it seems as though this is a little bit of improv. It's kind of like when, you know, you do that thing where, okay, I'm going to start telling a story, and then I'm going to pass it over to you, and you, you continue it. So you're laying all these tracks, and then you're going to give it to somebody else. Um, so it is there is some sort of poetic justice that J.J. has to come in and uh, kind of you know, uh, be on the receiving end of not just what Ryan Johnson has put out before him, but also what he put out for himself. Right. Finally, now J.J. gets to go into the mystery box and figure his way out. Oh, the, the cruel justice. You know, fans should be happy about that. And also, I expect J.J. will leave us asking questions, more questions. I, I believe we'll get some answers. But then... He'll provide us with more questions, leaving the door open for then episodes 10, 11, and 12. Any smart filmmaker would do that with a saga that has been ongoing for the past 40 decades. Let's put it into a place where it can be ready for the next 40, I mean 40 years, not 40 decades. Hey, if if Disney sticks with it, I believe we'll be saying 40 decades sooner or later. Maybe not you and me, but (laughs) for sure not you and me. But but the part, part robot, part human race that replaces us. We'll certainly be talking about it. The, the Porgs who overthrow the planet Earth, you know, yeah. um, planet of the <laughs> Porgs will yeah. be a reality. You blew it all up. Damn you, Porgs. Damn you. <laughs> He'll be hunting, man. Um, well, you know, the, the uh, look, I mean, everything from the, the, the firing of Colin Trevorrow uh, to the hiring of J.J. Abrams. Uh, we're talking about a span of what three, three, four days. It was very quick. Uh, they didn't let that uh, die on the vine very quickly or very long. Um, we had speculated possibly Steven Spielberg. I had laid out a case that uh, you know may have uh, obviously was not true, but that, that Spielberg's schedule is being cleared. But it's going to be. J.J. Abrams. I think it makes total sense. I think that there's there's obviously that there's familiarity there. Um, it's it, it it probably feels as comfortable as anything else might feel. Um, Jim, there was speculation that things weren't all that rosy on the set of Star Wars Episode Seven uh, with J.J. There were. Uh, some accounts of Lucasfilm employees and uh, Lucasfilm brass feeling that they weren't welcome on the set, that the production took on the characteristics more of a bad robot production than it did a Lucasfilm production. Well, maybe those things have been ironed out with uh, the shooting and release of uh, The Force Awakens. Again, when we were hearing this kind of stuff behind the scenes, it was actually during the shooting of the film. Of The Force yeah. Awakens, and, and we had heard f- people from Lucasfilm uh, expressing confusion, concern, and frustration with the fact that they were not going out to the set. And uh, 
you know, and it, it's not a vanity thing. I mean, they were they wanted to go out there to do the best job they can possibly do. So I don't know if that actually exists, if there's any sort of um, separate. I, I, I find it unlikely, but um, but that that could be a concern to bring in J.J. Abrams again. How, uh, how much control are you turning over to not only Abrams himself, but his production company? Someone who might be able to weigh in on this a little bit. He's standing by, and he, he just texted me. He said he wants to oh. get in on this conversation. Is our friend Kyle Newman. Of course, oh, uh, Kyle really uh, needs no introduction. He's uh, been with us for uh, the past 11 years talking Star Wars and providing his Hollywood insider uh, uh, opinions and... Uh, Right, I think Thoughts? I think we got him. We got him. Hey, Kyle. Hello. Hey, man. Great to, to have you with us. You're just in time. We just started talking about the big announcement from a couple days ago that J.J. Abrams would be coming back into Star Wars and helming Episode Nine, not just as a director, but also as a writer, along with writing partner uh, Chris Terrio. So J.J.'s back as as one director, filmmaker. To another, what are your thoughts about not just J.J. coming back, obviously, but the letting go of Colin Trevorrow? How much of this you're an you're you're an industry guy. How much of this is just standard procedure? This happens all the time in the business that you're in. How much of it is that and how much of it is that, you know, that you know we should be as fans freaking out over this stuff? Well, we shouldn't be freaking out because we've had two films and we've enjoyed them, haven't we? Well, we I have eight films, actually, if if you're keeping score. Yeah. <laughs> well, two films under this new stewardship. And this new stewardship has also brought us things like Rebels. So I think we'll have to calm down and say we're in a good place. Um, it is a corporation. It's not George running the show anymore. We know that. That's what's different. But... The way studios work and the way they increasingly work is they're ruthless. So if you're not falling in line with their vision for what they want from the property, Star Wars, then you're going to be extricated from the process. So I think what it does mean is that there is a vision. There is a clear unified vision. And if people aren't falling into it and playing game with that vision, then you're going to be out. And at least there's a vision. You look at certain properties and there's no vision. You look at what they're doing over at DC and they're just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what works. And Wonder Woman works, but Batman vs Superman doesn't and Suicide Squad didn't. Uh, they made money, so they're encouraged by bad behavior. So you don't know what's going on over there. Who's running the show? What's happening? Here we know who's running the show. It's Kathleen Kennedy. And she's going to bring in people. They get it done. And are they playing it safe right now? Yes, they played it safe by bringing in Tony Gilroy, who'd already reshot Gareth Edwards. They played it safe by bringing in Ron Howard, who'd previously worked with Kennedy and Lucasfilm uh, and is a supreme veteran. And they're playing it kind of safe by saying, you know what? J.J. did make us $2 billion. He is the man who brought us the awesome characters of Ray, Kylo Ren, and BB-8, and Finn, and Poe. Um, and to be decided if he's cool yet 100% Snoke. I think he is. Um <laughs> Hawks, not so much yet. <laughs> yet. This is the guy that brought us Hawks. This is the guy that brought us Constable Zuvio. Balatine. Um, <laughs> look, I, look, look, I loved all the character stuff in 
The Force Awakens. I thought characters were great. I thought the casting was impeccable. He's got such a great yeah. taste for for casting. Look at those new faces. You know, really, yeah. John Boyega was relatively new. Daisy Ridley is totally fresh. Um, the actor in the BB-8 suit was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think overall, Warren we have Davis. to say what's this. I was going to say was that Vern Troyer. Adam Driver was wonderful casting across the board. I think he brought great new life to the Star Wars universe. Yes, it was derivative. My critiques of that universe that he brought us back to were visually, it felt um, redundant. And with all that time designing and all those great artists, uh, it felt like just weak imitations of classic planets. Um, Mm. It's my main criticism. I'll stand by it. Like Jakku, Tatooine. Duikon is uh, Yavin. It looks like a Masasi temple with vines growing in it. I mean, it looks exactly like what we saw in Rogue One. Um, Starkiller base was hot. Starkiller base is, yeah. I mean, they could have done other things, striations of color in the snow. They could have made the sky lavender on Jakku. They could have done anything in post, too, to differentiate. Um, But those are, you know, small gripes. Um, I overall... You know, I could feel some of the story being uh, reworked in the edit. You know, the more you watch it, the more you can feel it was patched together to kind of change things and rethink things. Kyle, how much of that did come together in post-production? Are are we to assume that a lot of the film was really put together in the editing more so than in the script itself? Well, I think a few things happened. I think they started out filming a movie based on a script and then... They had some downtime with the, with the Harrison Ford accident. It gave J.J. time to work the edit. I mean, this is assumption. He's going to work nonstop on the edit now. Like, he can't shoot, so he's going to become compulsive and obsessed and rework this. And he starts coming up with new ideas. Well, maybe I can do this. Well, this isn't working. I can rewrite this. I can reshoot this. And it liberated him to have another pass at the story. And who knows what it would have been like had the production just continued in one flow and they didn't have that downtime for him to tinker and rethink. But I, I think – I believe that was an opportunity for him to write again. And he had like another phase of it. And I feel like you know editing is a whole other phase of writing. And if you have the liberties – and they're good. People are always like reshoots. Whoa, that's bad. Reshoots are good. Reshoots are good. Reshoots are saying an artist can go back and add another layer to their painting. It's saying go put some highlights over here. Go shade this a little more. You know what? Repaint this part. You're making a better painting. Uh, is the painting that's slapped down in one sitting the better painting? Or is the painting the one that, that most appeals to your eye the better painting? Um, I was like the way George did that. He like did, did it in layers. He planned for reshoots. He planned for phases. Uh, it's more organic it's when it's film becoming more like the other artistic mediums uh you can go rewrite a song you can go tinker with it you go replay it you go re-record this but you're going to keep that drum track and you layer it all together it's the filmmaking should have that fluidness and it finally does and i think um just because something's reshot doesn't mean it's bad just because disney spent a hundred million dollars that's not your hundred million dollars chill out guy at home they're just going to make a better (laughs) star wars movie for you so chill out well well, well, let me let me let me throw this out at you. I don't know if you saw these comments, uh, but uh, John Landis uh, was speaking with Collider.com, and this is what he had to say because they were asking him about, you know, what are you working on? He says, well, I've got many things I'm working on. Whether or not they'll ever become real, I don't know. You know, Joe Dante and myself and a few other guys I know are in the same position. They're just not hiring people who have opinions. 
They think he knows what he's doing. I'm not hiring him. Look at Star Wars. They keep firing guys. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, those guys are really talented. They're really funny and original guys. They shot 75% of the movie, and I got to tell you, it doesn't speak well for the new Lucasfilm. How many directors have they fired? Four? How many writers? Twelve? It's worrying. So that's what John Landis said. Oh, and he finished with saying, hey, remember when George Lucas said that he felt like he sold his kids into white slavery? Well, so John Landis saying that if you if you are a director out there with an opinion, if you're uh, somebody who wants to uh, uh, leave your mark on a project, that Hollywood has no time for you. Well, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be knocking on John Landis's door now that he's correlated them to white slavers as well. <laughs> it's a good way to not get hired. Um <laughs> Look, I don't think anybody's beaten down John Landis' door. Talented guy. He had his moment in the sun, made some great films. He was, like, at the top. Um, but you know what? Things come and go. And right now, Lucasfilm said, you know what? We want to work with some younger people. Um, I mean, did they explicitly say we want to work with younger filmmakers? Or did they just hire younger filmmakers? Let's did they say it's our mandate to hire young millennials? No. No. They just no, they no. just did. They hired a crop of filmmakers that they felt were making a lot of money at the box office. So like, well, it's working for them. They're doing cool stuff. They're making hits. Let's get on on the hits. Um, that's how a lot of studios and stuff think. They also probably met these guys. They all were probably very affable and charming and likable. And to get jobs in Hollywood, you know, to be at that level – to work at that level, people have to like you. People have mm -hmm. to want to work with you and people have to believe in you. And you have to be, have a certain charisma to rally people to get your vision up on film. And Lord and Miller, they're brilliant guys. Like Colin Trevorrow, uh, went to NYU with Colin. And, um, you know, his writing partner on it. They, they were NYU guys. I didn't know them well then, but they're sharp guys. Like, they know what they're doing. Um, so you get to this level and ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, maybe Colin was entrenched in a in a in a a way he thought the story should unfold or wrap up, and they had a very different idea. Maybe his execution of that shared idea didn't meet the same way they wanted to do it. You don't know um, what it comes down to. But look, she's not doing this as a knee-jerk thing in the wake of um, the Han Solo, Lord and Miller, Ron Howard situation. I'm sure they didn't just, I'm sure it didn't come lightly. I'm sure it was something where they felt like, you know what, we want to end this trilogy this way. And respectfully, he wants to do it this way. And we're going to, to part ways because you don't want somebody execute. He didn't shot the movie yet. So you don't want to put some, put a gun to someone's head and say, do it our way. If they're not passionate about it, life's too short. You know, you're making star Wars. You got to want to have everybody holding hands and doing this. Well, um, so I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I have no idea. Yeah. And I don't know how those decisions are you know, conveyed to the director or how the director stands for themselves in those situations. I don't know how it played out. Um, all I know is that Kathleen Kennedy's track record is uh, impeccable. And she's overseen and in charge of Star Wars, um, two highly profitable, fun installments in the saga. And she's making decisions to protect that. So, um, Kyle, for someone in the industry like yourself, who's directed major motion pictures, how hard do you have to lobby to, to make sure that 
your artistic vision gets seen through. And is there any wiggle room in the Star Wars galaxy? Does it even matter who directs these films? It does matter. But you have to go back, I think, to very nascent days of Star Wars. And George Lucas is begging a guy named Irvin Kirshner, who's not on anybody's hot list at the studios, to come do Empire Strikes Back. And he's like, you're crazy. He doesn't want to come do it. And he's like pushing back. And and George's like, no, I want him to do it. You're the guy. You know, and he keeps – he's persistent. And he finally gets his guy. But that wasn't like the guy who had the hottest opening weekend recently. That wasn't the guy who everybody's trying to get to do their franchise. He's a guy that had an impact on George's life and was a mentor. And he thought, this guy's great. You know what? I want somebody that's going to step in here, put their ego aside, tell a Star Wars story, to extrapolate on my myth, to elevate my myth, and to make a, a film so I don't have to pull the hair out of my head. And he wanted a guy to come do help him make the movie. George is still going to be there as guidance, but he's also setting up a company. And that's what he did. He, he picked not the fanciest guy on the block. And then what did he do with Mark One? Same thing. He didn't go pick the hottest guy in town. I mean, he sought after some of these people. But ultimately, who did he go with? He went with a guy who was much more uh, workmanlike, the guy who was going to get it done, who was going to be a team player. And, uh, and he did. And, you know, Ron Howard was very collaborative on, on Willow. And he welcomed his young, uh, young, fresh ideas. And I think, you know, George wanted somebody who was going to go see it through with, the, with this great young energy coming off of Cocoon. And you see that that's what was going on at Lucasfilm. And George, right from the beginning, said, I'm going to create this universe and I want other directors to come play in it. And uh, what you're seeing now is just uh, systemic of a little bit what's happening in Hollywood in general is, you know, directors become interchangeable and ultimately you're put into a machine and you've got dozens of concept artists and dozens of previous guys and storyboard guys. And you are just um, put into this machine and you're going to make these decisions and you want to just make sure the machine keeps running. And, you know, Gareth Edwards, you know, there's no beating around a bush. We know what happened. He kind of got pushed out of the movie, but he, in a way, stuck around, was a team player, kept his mouth shut, played ball with Gilroy, it seems like, and they came in and they got the movie done. His name stays on it. And he, there he is. His name's on a billion plus dollar movie and he's the director. Um, maybe other people are too prideful. Maybe they don't want to play that game. Um, well, the inside, the inside dope, and I'm sure you've heard uh, just as much as we have, if not more, the inside dope on Trevor O was that here's the dirty little secret. The guy's really arrogant. The guy's super arrogant. He's not, he's not fun to deal with on set. Um, they're saying the best thing we can say about him is he's really, 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 really confident. Uh, so he's on the set of uh, Lost that. World. Would Nobody wanted to. Too, though? What's that? Wouldn't you put out something like that, too, if you had a PR department and you wanted to look good? Uh, well, I'm not saying uh, that's what happened, but I'm just saying. Oh, I think a lot of this is being I, I think you're absolutely right. I think probably most of this is happening, certainly in, you know, in, the, in the front lines of of PR. Um, but what's what's interesting to me is that, you know, people are saying that the guy survived Jurassic World because Spielberg had hired him. So nobody was going to come, you know, and, and fire him. Um, the, the Kathleen Kennedy wasn't thrilled with what she was getting out of him for uh, episode nine. And then when Book of Henry came out, that was that was her lifeline. Book of Henry comes out. It's a flop. His, uh, you know, his stock goes down. She, I don't think she she watched Book of Henry and fired him. 
Um, it was a more personal movie for him. He wanted to do something after Jurassic World before this. If they liked Jurassic World and they liked the way he played nice with them, he wouldn't have got the job if he was a pain in the ass on Jurassic World. You know what I'm saying? He's working with her husband. If mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. He would have rose yeah. to the top of the list if he was the monster they said he was. Yeah. Why would they have hired him? It doesn't make any sense. Just really think about it. Then he goes and makes this film and – you know, critics didn't love it. I saw an early screening of it. He invited me to it a year ago and, uh, I had a good time watching it. You know, is it, was it the best movie of the year? No. Was it the worst movie I've ever seen? No, I liked it. There's some really cool stuff in it. And he was playing, he was having fun. He was saying, I'm not working in a big franchise. I want to try things. And he experimented. And there was a really unique tone. There was these interesting things meshed together. So what's to, what's to be gained by whoever's, whoever's doing this, trying to destroy this guy's reputation. Well, what did they do with Trank? What's the game? Well, with Trank. I'm not they did it with Trank. Yeah, but yeah, I, but it was know. done with Trank. Right, Stories you're right. Out. And mm-hmm. to look good, to make everything look good, um, it's possible that, you know, character assassination is is part of it, or it's just mm-hmm. part of a losing PR battle on the on the part of the director. Like, who's going to yeah. always win? The studio's largely going to always win. Look, maybe some people had problems. I don't know. I mean, I don't even like the speculation game. It's just a little weird. Like, I know these guys. They're all – they're good dudes. Like, I'm not yeah. going to say, like, they're bad people. They're not. Like, they're good, smart, hardworking people. This is probably the the most amazing thing in Colin's life. I know Trank. Trank, it, he adores Star Wars. It's his whole life. You think that wasn't the worst day of his life? You don't think he wakes up every day and still thinks about it? You don't think Colin for the rest of his life is going to think about this? Mm. Like, the – they didn't take these decisions lightly, and I don't think they're based on, oh, he did this film after Jurassic World, but we liked him on Jurassic World, but the critics didn't like this. Whatever it came down to was probably genuinely creative, and it probably genuinely was like, you know what? We want to do it this way, and you want to do it this way, and we're both strong-minded people, and this way is going to be the way we go because we control its fate, and we control the money. All you can do is say, this is what I feel strongly. Like I'm doing this every day. This is all I'm doing. I'm developing – 15, 20 projects at once and you work with different producers, you work with different writers. And sometimes I walk away from stuff because I'm like, you know, life's too short on this. Like creatively, we're not on the same page. Like I see it this way or the source material tells me this is it. And this is what I responded to when I read it. And this is what I see in the DNA of the material. And this is what needs to be at the core of this movie. This is the heart of this film. And someone's like, no, it's this. And you're like, whoa, what? I don't see it that way. And then you work together to try and find out if you can find that common ground or maybe you need to see it from a different way the way they see it and maybe they'll open your eyes and you'll go you know what that's a great idea i didn't look at it that way or maybe you're going to say you know what no i see what you're saying but i i don't i don't feel that or i'm not the person for that and then you part ways it doesn't always have to be as salacious or contentious as everyone's like oh he was a terrible monster so we got rid of him you know he was on this for how many years he worked with her husband for how many years he's yeah well since 2015 he's been on the project him out You think he's Spielberg's going to go pick a moron? No, he's a, he's a pretty damn bright guy. He's very talented. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to maybe some difference in personality, or uh, some difference in a big creative idea. How much of this do you think had to do? And I, this I said going to say I, I sound like a broken record, but uh, how much of this do you think really had to do with the fact that they had to throw out a story that they all felt pretty good about once Carrie Fisher died and. Uh, we know actually that we have a quote from Ryan Johnson uh, from what is this? This is from Mashable. They've got a quote in here. I don't know if, if, if they're the original source, um, but he did say 
that uh, Leia's death will not be addressed in episode eight. He says she gives a beautiful and complete performance in this film. So um, how much of that, uh, of what happened to Colin is a result of perhaps him not being able to pick up the pieces after losing a, a, a critical yeah. character. A large, I would say a large part of it. Yeah. So it's a lot of misfortune here more than it appears to be personality conflicts. It could very, very much well. I mean, or personality conflicts come up when as a result of this, you're debating something that's very, you're passionate about like, right. no, we got to treat her story this way. It should resolve this way. And someone's saying, no, we promised we would only do it this way. And mm-hmm. you know, there's it, it, it we don't know. So we're playing a guessing game. But the bottom line is, is Carrie Fisher's untimely and unfortunate death. Right. Perhaps it's just an unfortunate circumstance all around, a new wrinkle in the fabric that completely changed the game. My question to you, Kyle, is do you think that they started butting heads because the suggestion was made uh, in light of the fact that the General Leia character is too important to cast aside that they recreate... Carrie Fisher via digital technology, CGI, or they recast her with a new actress taking over the role. And so do you think that's a reality? And how do you feel about something like that happening? Look, I'm going to say it's, it's probable. I have no idea um, where, what they were planning. Um, It felt to me like they were setting her up for a big third act in episode nine uh, once they removed Han from the equation and she remained the only living parental unit to Ben slash Kylo, it felt like she was that relationship was going to have to climax at some point. And there was going to have to be some type of reckoning or reconciliation between the, the two of them. And um, it sounds like that doesn't happen in eight. And it sounds like narratively, since they set this up in act one, they had to find some way to resolve it in nine. I think possibly prematurely they committed to saying we'll never do a digital version of her. Um, um, I, I really don't know. How do you feel I, about Princess Leia being recast? Someone other than Carrie Fisher taking over the role? Sure. Really simple. In Rogue One, I wouldn't put a digital Carrie Fisher. I would have recast her, to be honest. I would have cast a young... Um, a young uh, Princess Leia. They already are casting a young Han Solo. I would have done another young Luke film, and then you would have had all three new people cast young with fresh faces but familiar in a time period after Return of the Jedi to do whatever you wanted with. Um, It's just Mm. better business. Like, why recast Han Solo, a young one, but then do a digital Carrie Fisher? Um, Mm. I don't know. Uh, I just would have been consistent in my methods. And set myself up for the option of saying, oh, you know what? We have these three actors. We just introduced them all organically. Now we could bring them together and do something five years after uh, the end of Return of the Jedi and do a whole other story. Uh, That's just the way my mind thinks. I'm thinking multiple movies well in advance uh, rather than, oh, we can show off this technology and make this girl look kind of like Leia. To me, it was maybe the worst effect in the movie. It looked kind of like Polar Express creepy, but um, (laughs) kind of waxen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. There's, there was a little waxy look to her. There's no doubt. Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not writing, uh, writing to anybody saying, did you see that effect? No, it was all right. 
Um, and I'm just being honest. Like they did beautiful work in that movie on Tarkin. And I gotta admit, I was blown okay. away at the uh, end when she turned around and it was young Carrie and she said, hope I, I, it floored me. It absolutely floored really? me. Yes, it did. I, you know what? I was, I was so much more into the Tarkin stuff. I felt like even though they had Tarkin's height off by three inches, I felt like it <laughs> worked with Carrie. Uh, I mean, it felt it worked passably with Carrie, but it didn't like blow me away. I wasn't like, I, it took I knew what it was. At first with Tarkin, I was like, wow, wow. And I was in it. And the second time I just watched him as a character. But the Carrie thing, I was like, look at it. Um, so you'd be mm. able to roll with it if they announced tomorrow that someone else is going to be playing the role of Leia in episode nine. You would be able to roll with that or would you find that to I, be well, disgraceful? I, you know what? Roll with it because I like the people making these movies and I trust them. And if I feel you like were making could. these movies, Look, would you would you make a call like that? I'd be happy to make any call they want. <laughs> well, <of course. laughs> no, seriously, you put a decision in front of me, I will make it, and I will stand by it, and I will make, I'll research it, and make the best goddamn decision. Period. That's just the, that's the way I am, the way I think. Give me a decision to make, and I'll make it. Like they, it's not me though. I like the people making it. I think they're all smart. I respect them all. They're at the pinnacle of the industry. They're just brilliant creators. JJ is a brilliant mind. He's one of those rare people. Say whatever you want about him. He's got an energy like like no one else. He's like a P.T. Barnum. He's a storyteller. He's an entertainer. He's just got a sharp, sharp mind. And and like, yeah, he does his own thing. And it's got a little bit of himself in it. But as it should, that's why you hired him. And he's going to make Kyle, do you, do you buy? Make Look, I'm, I'll be fine with it. I would say if you want to go cast Leia... I'll be like, it's weird. It's unfortunate. It's mm-hmm. sad. I knew Carrie Fisher. I would have loved to see her get that final act in, in the movie. But um, you'd be you open minded. Planned it. I'd rather it. I'd rather them cast someone else than make some janky version of it just because they're trying to stay true to honor. Like, be like, no, we can't recast her because life goes on. I mean, literally, like the story was set in motion. This is the ninth act of a huge epic tale. Like finish it the way it's meant to be told cast somebody else there are great actors let somebody step in and let somebody do their version of it it's a story we've seen this before it's not the end of the world it's happened before in movies um is it weird will it take a bit to get used to sure but i wouldn't want to see the story suffer because of our nostalgia or fear we've we've seen the dismissal of george lucas we've seen the dismissal of uh well, uh, Jim kind of disagreed with me a little bit last week, but I, I'll say I'll throw in Gary Widow. We've seen him go. We've seen Gareth Edwards displaced. We've well, seen uh, going to go. What's that? Guys, writers are always they're always going to go. Um, so we can't count them. Moving forward, it's not going to be immune to the transition of writers. Um, you're talking about corporate Disney and a subsidiary of corporate Disney. And while it's its own fiefdom, it's always going to be. Um, partaking in the the rules of the parent company. And part of it is if it doesn't live up to the people that also have to approve things and sign off on things, um, or if there's like room for it to improve. And this is not just to say, oh, they're playing a game. Oh, they're going to fire this writer just to mess with it and bring in this guy because they're playing politics. If something is not what it needs to be, they are going to replace you and bring in somebody else and they're going to keep doing it and they're going to keep spending money until they get it right, period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. They're not going to do what Warner Brothers does, which is like, oh, it's good enough. Let's put it out. People in China <laughs> like it. They're going to go, it's got to be great. 
or else we're not done. But 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 what is okay? If we look at oh, so let's let's not think of the writers. Let's th- let's think of uh, we we can even throw George out. But I do think it's very interesting that you can trace these quote unquote firings back to George Lucas. But so let's look at uh, oh Josh Trank. Did you hear? Lee Brackett was fired off Empire. It's doomed. Yeah, that's that. Ah, <laughs> Chill out, people. Chill out. That was um. A- well, Lee, Lee Brackett, I don't think, turned in exactly the script that they wanted to get from her. And unfortunately, she was coming to the not, end. She of, was uh, not well. Yeah. John, didn't George bring in Jonathan? Who is it? Jonathan. Who's the guy he brought on to write with him? Co-write. Um, rewrite. Carrie did a pass on one of them. I hear a dialogue pass on one of the prequels. Oh, you're thinking of Jonathan Hale in episode Jonathan three. Hale. Yes, yeah, George three, did bring right. in somebody to help him punch up the script for that. I'm sure. Prequel. Yeah. You want no secret? I'm sure there were other people yeah. quietly in the mix. Uh, Michael Arndt was picked by George to okay. come and do this. But what's, when we look at the directors, Kyle, what is, in your mind, the common denominator from, from Trank through Colin Trevorrow, because what we're hearing is people are saying, oh, this just shows that Kennedy and Disney, they don't want directors that can think for themselves. They don't want directors that want to, you know, actually have, uh, you know, their own stamp put on things. If you're saying that's not the case, what is the common denominator with? No, it's not about having your own stamp or people that think for themselves. It's that the people at Lucasfilm, the people running the story, have thought about what the story should be, or they said it can't be this, or we don't like this. And if you go there, then you're going to be in the hot water. Uh, I think they have a clear vision of what they want, or they know what they don't want. It <laughs> seems like Ryan Ryan Johnson did his own thing, had a certain amount of creative freedom, and he found a groove, and he flowed, and it went really well. And they're happy with it. That's at least what they're putting out there. That's at least what I'm feeling has transpired. That's the vibe I'm getting from the material. I'm getting a vibe from the, that material that, okay, um, what I got from The Force Awakens is J.J. didn't take any big swings. He didn't say, I'm going to introduce new mythology. I'm going to do anything a little crazy here. Uh, at least not yet. I don't know. Because the ramification, the fallout of The Force Awakens has, uh, still have not been felt. We don't know these things that he set up, how they were, how they were intended to be played out or how they were played out. Now, at least we're going to see how they were intended to be played out or if he ever had a way of playing them out. Sometimes he's like, I'm making the first movie. I'm going to make the best movie it can be. I'm not going to have all the answers. I'm just going to ask great questions. It's up to Ryan Johnson and Colin at the time to go figure it out. And I know after J.J. finished The Force Awakens, Ryan had to go on a little bit of a writing retreat. Didn't they uh, delay things a bit? And he had to go rewrite the movie for a few months. Uh, I think that was because of editorial um, alterations made late in the game. So do you see with J.J. coming in to direct the last episode of this trilogy, it's kind of a... Giving the guy a taste of his own medicine, almost, you know, figure out this this puzzle you created. And then with Ryan Johnson's added nuances, twists and turns, it's going to present J.J. Abrams with a serious puzzle to solve. And it's almost giving him a taste of his own medicine, don't you think? 
in a sense, I don't look at it in a negative way. Oh, no, uh, I don't either. I don't either. Yeah, not a taste of his own medicine in a negative way, but it's a challenge. And look, J.J., isn't he an exec producer still on Last Jedi? I mean, hasn't he been? Yes, he is. Really involved. I'm sure he's watched the development of the story. I'm sure he chimed in once or twice uh, or more than that. Uh, I'm sure he's been privy to um, editorial passes on it. I'm sure he was invited in by people like Ryan. Um, I'm sure he was offered advice. Um, offering advice to people uh, like Ryan and Colin. Um, I think these filmmakers look up to, to JJ too and respect him enough to say, all right, he's been through it. He's been through a lot. He's been through a few franchises. You know, He's probably got a few important things to say and I should listen. Um, and I think he gets this, this point now where by circumstance, he gets to re-inherit the thing he started. And now he can say, you know what? I had a lot of time to think about it. You know, I would have done this with Ray. Ray's family should definitely be this or it's not this or I really wanted to do this with Hux. I really want to show people why I cast this guy as Hux, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> Yo, poor Hux. No, I want him to make I want him to make it make sense now. Like, why is this 20 year old guy running the empire? I don't the, the first order. I want to know. I know they put it in the books. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Some of these new books are subpar sub. Par. I gotta ask you, Kyle. Have you been reading Leia, Princess of Alderaan? It's a new young adult novel that just came out on Force Friday, written by to. Claudia Gray. I gotta tell you, it's uh, one of the most compelling pieces. I of can't wait to read it. I'm in Phasma right Star now. Star Wars fiction that I've I've encountered since uh, the Disney takeover the reboot. Um, the Phasma book too is also very enjoyable. Oh my God, uh, so so many crazy things going on with her past. I struggled through Thrawn. I know I'm not supposed to say this. I struggled. It's 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 hard. It's like they put a gun to this guy's head who created Thrawn and made him write like bad fan fiction of Thrawn. I don't know. It's not interesting to me. I, I'm I just I, I'm just nostalgic for Heir to the Empire and um you know that the that tone, that fantasy, that myth, that magic, that wonder. It's just void. And I don't know where it went, and I don't know why it's been scared away. Um, I want that back in these books, and that's a, that's like a, a a primary pillar. Those are the pillars of Star Wars: fantasy, fantasy, myth, magic, fun. That's like Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Um, Those are. I mean, so, all the important elements must be put right. in. Right. I mean, yeah. George has George has said it's not about spaceships. Like the aftermath series was bizarrely violent. It, it like it would go be really soft, and then suddenly it would be like descriptively violent. And I was like, why is it like this? What is going? It's so inconsistent. That trilogy then, was all over the place. I'm sorry, but it was. It was a real. I was stuff I liked in it. I read them all. I, you know, I went through it all, and there was great chapters, and there was there was just subpar chapters. I, I want like a level of quality back where people say this is the primary tone of star Wars. This is what it needs to do. And a lot of that EU, you know, people used to deride it and criticize it. And I had issues with a lot of it too, but some of it, uh, you know, I am nostalgic for some of it because it had like a wonderful, at least it was capturing the wonder and the tone. And that's what I want back. Like you go tell whatever story you want, but at least do it in a star Wars tone. Um, look, JJ gets the Star Wars tone. 
I'm getting the sense that from from what I've seen of Ryan's material that that he fully gets the Star Wars tone. Uh, Dave Filoni, he gets the Star Wars tone. He is the Star Wars tone. The dude loves Star Wars. Like, you don't have to question that. I, I think you got to get the Star Wars tone. And maybe what they're not getting with some of these guys is they want to go make their own movie within Star Wars. You can have great filmmakers that want to go mm-hmm. make their own story within Star Wars. Would I ever want Spike um, Lee or Quentin Tarantino or Wes Anderson or Woody Allen making Star Wars movies? No, because they essentially make similar movies over and over again. David Fincher, you know, it's a certain type of tone. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Even Christopher Nolan, there's a certain cerebralness and seriousness. For sure. I don't know if I want that necessarily applied. Are these guys going to step out of their tone to come do this and fit this tone? And that's, it seems like, what Kathleen Kennedy is doing. She's holding up a standard and saying, this is the story we're telling. This is the type of movie we're making. These are the audience. This is the audience we're trying to reach. This is what it has to hit. It has to cover these bases. Uh, We're making Star Wars. And it's hard for some of these guys when they have a certain amount of autonomy. um, Well, Kyle, the the, 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 then turn that off. And the headline should not touch Star Wars, period. You want guys like the guy who did the last four Harry Potters and Fantastic Beasts to step in because I feel like he's an mm-hmm. egoless filmmaker. There's no ego there. Yeah, he's going to yeah. go in. He's going to do the job and tell the story as close to what's coming out of J.K. Rowling's head. And that's the kind of filmmaker you want to step into this situation. Like Matt Reeves is a great choice. I think he's a great guy who's, who's done some different work of different scales, different genres. He's done remakes. What has um, Matt done? What has Matt done? I, I seem to have heard his name being thrown around. Uh, he's, on new, he's on Batman. He did uh, yes. a remake of Let the Right One In. He called Let Me In. Um, oh, yeah. Right. He did, a, he, just, he did a Planet of the Apes movie, too. Um, he did uh, Cloverfield. There you right? go. Okay, so he's been, uh-huh. he, he definitely has a, a track record, no question about it. I've seen yeah, let me in. He did War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, wait, did he? Did he do all the Planet of the Apes, or just he did Cloverfield with JJ? Um, he did some. He worked on Felicity with JJ. Um, he wrote Under Siege Two and The Paul Bearer, and he's doing The Batman. And you can see here's a guy who seems to work with different people, bigger personalities. He's played nice. He's made successful movies. Worked in franchises. They've all been, they've all been profitable, but do you hear like. He just finds a way to team play. And in this modern day, you've got to be a director that's able to team play. Look, visionary directors are not really operating well in that system. And I don't even know what that really means anymore. Um, like, I like Guillermo del Toro. Would I ever put him in a Star Wars movie? Like, no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. They tried to put stuff him into, you know, the, the uh, Hobbit franchise, and that didn't necessarily work and i don't know all the behind the scenes of it but it just didn't feel like the right fit and ultimately it wasn't the right fit and then you know peter jackson went and made the stories the way he wanted to do it but there's certain people that should just go do their own thing they don't need to go do star wars and we shouldn't go hunt them down and lure them in um and maybe that's with some of these young guys maybe they do have more individual voices and they don't fit into that system but you've got to be a team player you're basically working with a thousand people and yeah. uh, you got to win people over. Yeah, I, I think about when Alfonso Cuaron took over uh, for Chris Columbus on uh, the third Harry Potter film, The Prisoner of Azkaban, and I felt that that was 
that was one where, you know, I can understand they wanted to, you know, these these characters were getting older. They wanted to show them evolving. But I felt like it was this huge leap. Plus, he was, you know, unfortunately inheriting a situation not un, not unlike what uh, was going on with uh, Carrie Fisher's death, with uh, the death of um, uh, Richard uh, uh, Dumbledore. Help me out. Um Richard, Richard Harris. Yeah. Thank you. The death of Richard Harris. So you had all of this change coming in uh, as well as Alfonso wanting to put this very different spin look on these characters. It was an example, I think, of too much too soon. And but he's, a, he's, he- a, he's a brilliant filmmaker. Again, I don't know if, if he's right to step into uh, Star Wars. Also, Dennis uh, Villeneuve, whatever, however you say his name, the guy's doing Blade Runner who just did Arrival. Yeah. He did uh, Prisoners. Another guy, I'll go see every movie that guy makes. Yeah. I don't know if you'd want to insert him into the Star Wars machine, though. You know? So it just might be coming down to the, yes, you can have a great filmmaker, but it doesn't mean they're going to fit this system and work in it for the next three years with the um, expectations and, I would say limitations, but there's rules. Star Wars has yeah. rules. The, the, uh, headline, the headline of the Vulture story I thought was was pretty profound. It said Cullen Trevorrow's firing means no director will ever be bigger than Star Wars. Would you say that's true? I don't be- I don't believe anything's absolute in in Star Wars. <laughs> but um no, I think that's uh clickbait and uh uh-huh. I think they're just trying to you know undermine or or dismantle the people in charge and you have to say Kathleen Kennedy's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Is she directing? No. But is she a filmmaker? Has she been a key integral part of some of the greatest movies of our lives? Yes. So trust her. Um, and if she doesn't get along with someone, then it's her prerogative to say, I don't want to work with you on this anymore. Why should she be forced to? She's got to go make all these movies. The process needs to be as clean and as elegant and as fulfilling. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be as possible. So it's her prerogative. She's in charge. She's earned the position to say yes or no. And in a lot of these situations, she's saying no. If it's behavior or if it's ideas, she's going to go protect the IP. And to date, I've liked what's come out with the two movies that have come out. Um, and until there's like a major misstep, I'm just going to hold with that faith. Uh, people yeah. are losing their minds saying, JJ, oh my God, JJ, J- chill out. You know what I mean? Was it the most inventive movie of all time? No. Did you expect it to be the most inventive movie of all time? No. There are people hmm. sitting promoting this movie as all real practical effects and crapping on the prequels. Do you think they were going to take big swings? No. The prequels were three giant swings. Yeah. They were crazy big mythological fantasy ideas. Um, yeah. No, they were nuts. They, they, they were, they were absolutely nuts in some ways. And, but that's George. They were yeah. bonkers. They were yeah. 100% George Lucas realness. They were bonkers though. And I love them. Um, but as you can see now, they're playing it safe. They're yeah. playing it safe. They're yeah. playing it safe. They replace somebody and who are they replacing with? They're playing it safe and not in a, not in a fearful way. It's just we're going to go here because we know this works, and now we're going to let that smart person go create. We're going to go to the safe people that aren't problems to go create. Not that they're saying we're going to put a gun to your head and you can't do all these things or we only want it this way. JJ's going to go do what JJ does. They just know that he's safe because he's going to deliver. Ah, 
there there is a, a quote there is a quote from um what they who they call a veteran movie producer who has worked with studio chief Kathleen Kennedy uh, in a, a piece in Vulture.com this week. It says, uh, this is the quote from their, their source. There is one gatekeeper when it comes to Star Wars, and it's Kathleen Kennedy. If you rub Kathleen Kennedy the wrong way, in any way, you're out. You're done. A lot of these young new directors want to come in and say, I want to do this. I want to do that. A lot of these guys, Lord and Miller, Colin Trevorrow, got very rich very fast and believed a lot of their own hype. And they don't want to play by the rules. They want to do S differently, and Kathleen Kennedy isn't going to F around with that. Hmm. It's really, to me, it's really easy to tell a Star Wars story. I think I just seem to know what one is. You guys know what one is. I know it when I see it. I know what they smell like. I know what they feel like. I know what they taste like. <laughs> Maybe some of these people don't, you know? Well, in essence, though, this this uh, something, but not necessarily know what makes it tick. In essence, this veteran movie producer who gave this quote to Vulture is basically backing up what John Landis was saying. If if you're an independent thinker, if you think you know what you're doing, then John Landis might be just saying angry things because his son also came out and called came out and called Ray. They call her Mary Sue or. This is true. Yeah, yeah. That's the first time I ever heard that terminology. Oh, was that was used. that Landis's kid? Yeah, I Ma- still Max know what Landis. It means. Max Landis. Okay. Look, yeah. Max Landis, really great writer. But the bottom line is, Ray is the, the coolest She's character. Teenage. And a lot of the people who want to. Endo and Yoda, period. Done. Forget it. I love the prequels, but she's a better character than any character in the prequels. That's JJ. Cast the right person. Brought us into the story through Ray. It was a great vantage in. She's fantastic. She was more alive. Look, I love the prequels again, but she was more alive, and he gave us a better vantage in than than George did with uh, Jake Lloyd, Anakin. Not down to Jake Lloyd. Not down to anybody else. George tells things in a slightly different, more objective way. JJ just hooked us in, made us feel for her more. BB-8, fresh. Kylo Ren, I, I freaking love it. Like. If JJ's coming back to do more of that and to see through these characters that he's helped create, then why are we upset, people? Just chillax. All right. Well, the most yeah, I, important I, question to ask at this point, though, is uh, are you concerned about F.J. DeSanto's unhealthy obsession with Poe Dameron? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, we were in line for toys, and he's like, I want the 6-inch, I want the 12-inch, I want the 18-inch. Okay, good. We're talking about Force Friday. Inch. Andy, Andy's down to the outfit. He's like, I really want him in that that like Vespin Han outfit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what though? We're we're talking about Force Friday. It's true. You two guys were together that night, right? Yeah, we had a good little posse there. FJ fun. said you. He goes, you haven't seen anything until you see Kyle Newman work out a bargain deal with a mother and a child who had just won a giant porg. Do you want to know how that you want to know how it happened? We all were there with our raffles before the woman even won. She was right behind us in line. She's like, if I win, we want to get rid of it. The kid's like, I want a Nintendo switch. I don't want a dumb pork. Mm -hmm. So she's accepting it. And as she's accepting it, she's like, does anyone want to buy this? Like as she's claiming the ticket and we're like, I'm like, are you serious? And she's like, oh yeah, you, I like you because I was like, her kid wanted a certain Funko and I was ahead of her in line and I grabbed it for him. She's like, do you want it? And I was like, sure. And so he really wants a, like a Nintendo switch. He wants money to put towards it. And you know, I, I made her like a, a deal, which was fair. And it was like 
a minute after she won it, I was there. She just liked me and we did it. It wasn't like, I know FJ wants to make it sound sincere. <laughs> <laughs> she announced as she were getting, she's like, I don't want this thing in my house. Does anyone want to buy it? Oh. I was there and I was like, was it, oh, it wasn't I, exactly a hard sell. You're going to yeah. freak out. And they did. I brought it home the next morning. They went nuts. They were like tackling it, hugging it. Really. I saw it on Facebook. It was adorable. And this kid, all he wanted was a Nintendo Switch. So everybody was happy. Everyone wins. Everyone Everyone wins. And and FJ FJ tries to add some white writer's embellishment uh, into the story because he knows it's a good story. Uh, But it it wasn't like you were like cornering this uh, mother and child in the in the oh, there was a hundred there was a hundred witnesses that can testify this woman announced that she didn't want it in her house <laughs> she was mm. like mortified that she won she's like what am i gonna do with this uh, the thought and crossed my like, mind i you know i won was one like of those. 13 he doesn't want a stuffed animal he's like i want nintendo <laughs> <laughs> i won one of those and I, I it took me about half an hour to shove it into my toyota i couldn't i didn't know what it I was barely doing. fit in my my prius i had the prius that night and I'm like, oh god i should have the truck <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> hey did you guys hear about this that the episode eight novelization will not be available until march and unlike with episode seven, where we at least got a digital version in January, uh, no digital version. This is there's not going to be any novelization for episode eight, The Last Jedi, until March. I'm That's good. good. You guys so, also hear that uh, the episode eight novelization is going to make a lot less money for them. Yeah, probably <laughs> because yeah. you know I, I tell you what I'm good with it because during the prequel era I used to get so nervous about the fact that they were dropping those novelizations a month before the movie hit the theaters. All this secrecy, all this mystery goes right out the window when you give everyone the whole plot in a novel a month before the movie opens. I'm happy that. They're delaying it. I mean, all the way till March seems like a long wait. That's that's kind of bizarre. I mean, it'll probably be out online by then. Um, did you read the novels before the movies? Well, I did here- not. No, no, no. I did not. The only time I ever read a novel before I saw a film was Empire Strikes Back. And I still regret to this day doing that because one of the greatest shocking surprises ever presented in cinema history I am your father. I was like, yeah, I know all about that already. Come on. So, so I, I promised myself never again. I will never again spoil a movie. Really? I read the novelizations, I think, two of them before they came out. I said, I'm just going to read a chapter. I'm like, I'm going to read one more chapter. <laughs> sure, sure. I remember I was like, I was on the chapter where Palpatine was telling Maul about, I believe, the rule of two and Bane. I read a bit now. And I was like, oh. Out of hell with it. I'm just going to read the whole thing. And I read the whole thing. And I went to see the movie and I loved it. And it's because I knew the story. Mm. And I liked the story. Yeah. And I think it actually allowed me to, um, like, assimilate it into my Star Wars lexicon. And, like, it, over a period of time, it took me, like, a week to read it. As opposed to sitting down, two hours, what state of mind are you in? Are you tired? Are you hungry? Does your seat suck? Is the guy in front of you angry? You know what? Like, I just, I knew the story, um, and I liked it, and I think that, that I was able to enjoy the movie in this unshackled, free way, where I wasn't having to judge it, Yeah, and uh, it was like a version of the story, as opposed to, this is the worst thing I've seen in my life, mm. and I think maybe that liberated me to enjoy those movies more. Um, I didn't do that, um, Force Awakens, I guess you couldn't, um, but I, I am, I am the least 
spoiler-filled for Last Jedi that I've ever been on a Star Wars film. I just haven't been hungrily seeking it out like 10 times a day looking for updates everywhere. If it comes across me, uh, I'll read it. If someone shares something with me, I won't reject it. But I'm not hunting it down like I was in all the previous films. Mm. So it should be interesting to see the way I feel about this one. Um, yeah. Like you I know, knew a lot of Force Awakens before I went in. And there's still a lot of new things I didn't know. Well, Kyle, it's been really great to get all your thoughts on this uh, latest Star Wars director shakeup, and and you know, just getting caught up with you, man. It's it's been uh, we it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. So I, I love you guys. I love talking. And uh, do you got anything uh, happening right now with uh, you and your career? You working on anything cool? Oh yeah, some some really good stuff. I'm casting a couple of films right now, so I'm in the process of. Uh, Putting stuff together, working on a really cool adaptation of uh, Vladimir Nabokov novel. He wrote Lolita. This is one of his called Laughter in the Darkness, and it's a cool thriller. A um, couple of dramas we're putting together. Um, cool VR series, some television stuff. The book I'm doing with Sam Witwer and Michael Witwer, and um, the team is uh, nearly done. And that's great. This book about the definitive uh, visual history of Dungeons and Dragons, it's coming next year. So I've just been in a heavy writing phase and now I'm casting some stuff, you know, getting ready to shoot something either end of the year or beginning of next year. So we'll see what comes together. But it's been uh, as prolific as can be writing stuff that is uh, cool and meaningful to me. I'm, I'm done working on other people's stuff. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Sticking independent. Good for you, man. Uh-huh. You, you certainly are yeah. active. You got a great family. You're still playing Thanks. soccer. You're you're doing D and D every week. <laughs> it's hard yeah, to Star keep Wars up with you, man. Fantasy what? Flight. If you've not played it and you love Star Wars, you should check out Fantasy Flights, um, Star Wars: Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny. They all kind of mesh together into one super game, but you can pick your angle into it. Like if you want to be more of a smuggler or a rebel or a force user. Uh, it's just great fun. We play that uh, weekly, too. A wonderful group. It's just, it's so much fun to just step into the Star Wars universe, and our game master plays like an opening crawl each week, and we've got music playing the whole time. It's great. You know, it's just like Star Wars storytelling on another level, and you can go control it and and have fun doing that collective storytelling. You know, I highly recommend that if you've not done it. And you always keep your Star Wars fandom at a positive level, and that's what we're all about here at Rebel Force Radio. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. I mean, we're only 90 days away until The Last Jedi, so I look forward to wow. hearing your review here You're with right. us on Rebel Force Radio. Yeah, 90 Always days happy to away. share. Like I said, you know, the most important thing is, you know, we do have really good people involved in these films and i'm sure jj learned some stuff and had epiphanies about his own process and has perspective on what he did and choices he made and there's that less of a pressure on him now to be like the guy making and restarting a whole new universe and franchise maybe now he can go in without all that uh pressure just as a filmmaker and say well i'm going to make this the way i want to do it now that i'm not having to also have the pressure of relaunching everything so give him another shot if you didn't like it. And if you did like it, I think we're just going to get an even better film. Um, so I'm, I'm truly excited. And, you know, you know me, I wouldn't pull punches. If I wasn't, I would, I would say. All right, man. Well, as Jimmy said, thanks very much. And uh, hopefully we'll be catching up with you very soon. Yeah, as take care, guys. continues to unfold. You too, bud. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Rebel Force Radio. Star Wars! Nothing but Star Wars! Your source for the Force. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24 7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. Hey guys, uh, this is Javier. Uh, big fan of the show, been listening for a while. Just wanted to talk about uh, the new JJ Abrams cast. Honestly, I think it's a really good idea. The fact of the matter is that the guy, Colin Trevorrow, they had, I think the best thing he's ever directed is Jurassic World. And the problem with that is that Jurassic World is, you know, I really like the movie, but it's cheesy. It's not a Star Wars movie. And a lot of the other things he did didn't do very well with either the box office or with critics. J.J. Abrams has proven time and time again he can direct sci-fi, and he can definitely direct a Star Wars movie. Sure, he repeated plot points in The Force Awakens, but at the end of the day, he did a really good job. So, as long as he tries to stay away from that one flaw I feel like he had with that movie while he's making Episode 9, I don't think there's going to be a huge problem. Now, of course, that all depends on what happens in Episode 8. So, we'll see how much repeat there is there to see if this repeat in episode, possible repeat in Episode 9 is justified. But, at the end of the day, I'm completely fine with the J.J. Abrams casting. And, hopefully, he does a good job and he isn't fired over created, created differences. See the quotations I make with my claw hands? That means I don't believe you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> big fan of the show, uh, and thanks for hearing me out. So put Javier down as one who is pro J.J. Abrams coming in with uh, his take on Episode Nine, And uh, I think that if, if we were to do a poll, I, this is nothing scientific, but I think that we would probably see the majority of Star Wars fans, I think certainly the majority of Rebel Force radio listeners, uh, pleased with this. That's not to discount. That's not to undercut anybody who's not pleased with it. Because I keep saying that, you know, I'm not too comfortable with this writer that they got, this Terrio guy who gave us Batman v Superman. Like, what's that about? There's a school of thought that it's the writing. You know, what was the old campaign slogan? It's the economy, stupid. It's the writing, stupid that really, really separates the great Star Wars from the not, not as great Star Wars. So we'll see if uh, J.J. can bring his A-game and if he can uh, inspire something great out of this Chris Terrio guy. And we'll have a lot of fun with it if both Ray and Kylo's mother's name is Martha. Martha! Sorry. Uh, hey, listen, guys, you know... Creativity. And I'm one of those uh, weird suckers who actually enjoys Batman v Superman. You know, do I think it's the greatest cinematic achievement of all time? No, but uh, I, I find enough enjoyable stuff in that film to uh, not completely discount uh, uh, Terrio or uh, Warner Brothers or Ben Affleck or any of them. So mm. um, and maybe I'm just a little more optimistic than most. But... Um, 
Optimistic I, I, Prime, I, you. I, you know, I, I flip through the channels. I come across Batman v Superman, and I find myself getting sucked in. I'll sit there and mm. I'll, I'll watch it all the way to the end. Maybe it's just because I want to see Wonder Woman. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't blame but... you there. I don't blame you there. So what was Ryan Johnson doing in Japan? I don't know. He was on some sort of press junket, perhaps to uh, pr- do early promotion for The Last Jedi. I-, I find it to be really strange that he would be out there currently promoting the film. But really, the only thing I dug up on uh, in, in Hollywood Reporters, where I got the information from, it was just that he was there on a press junket. So, yeah. Well, um, it very well could be. I mean, I know that uh, Japan is definitely a market that um, has not... It, Traditionally, it's not like the United States in terms of Star Wars fandom. Uh, it was a market that I, I think they had to work pretty hard for. So it doesn't surprise me that he might be out sort of uh, laying some track early uh, for a very, very, very important market. As you know, we know, I mean, my gosh, it was in headlines just recently that this past summer was one of the worst in Hollywood history as far as the uh, the, the box office returns. So we're now, I think, our own film industry are becoming more and more in de- or dependent on some of the uh, the foreign box office. Anyway, what does it matter? He was in Japan. He was doing a press conference, and people were asking him about The Last Jedi. In fact, first question that went to Ryan was, what's going on with the movie? What's the status? Yeah, we are... Almost, almost, almost done. We, uh, when I get back to Los Angeles, we have just a few more days of work. But basically, the movie is finished, and now we just wait. Well, that's good news for those awaiting the trailer. Because yeah. last week, I speculated that the, the studio would like to have the film in the can, locked and loaded, before they release the trailer. Because the last two Star Wars films had trailers that included... Tons of footage that didn't make it into the final film. And a lot of people responded to me, uh, either at uh, show at rebelforceradio.com or uh, via our website, that uh, this is a common practice with films. I guess I just don't study motion picture the way I study a Star Wars release, where I really memorize each and every shot, scene, sequence, nuance, dialogue. It all gets burned into my memory. So anything that is left on the cutting room floor and is presented to us via trailer sticks out like a sore thumb to me. But I guess this happens often with motion picture releases nowadays, that footage ends up in trailers that don't appear in the final film. And I I still say it's false advertising, damn it. <laughs> By the way, I have to correct myself. Last week I had mentioned that um, John Williams isn't going into the recording studio until he's got a finished cut of the film. Now, that is, that is partially true. He does prefer to work from a more uh, finished uh, uh, version of the film. Um, but... The film was already scored. We had mentioned that they hadn't gone into the studio to record episode eight score. That is, that is in fact, not true. They did. They started as early as March of this year and uh, then did some more sessions in May. So late spring, early summer, The Last Jedi film was scored. So Seems early. Seems very early. It does feel a little early, but, you know, the maestro is getting up there in age. 
you never know. You never know. But uh, And the Ryan Johnson train seems to be moving swiftly and smoothly. So it's hard to really compare it to previous productions because of the way that, I mean, let's face it, Ryan Johnson, from all accounts that, you know, we can glean from this side of the the the, the um the the theater i guess i don't know but i mean from everything that we understand the whole thing's run super smoothly yeah. so yeah maybe that's just different in itself all right if you uh you may have seen this actually hit the web but uh ryan johnson did mention the name of a certain cameo happening in Episode eight. You know what I can tell you is that my, and we haven't said this yet, but I think this is okay to say, is that uh, my very good friend, the actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was in a movie I made called Looper, uh, he does a, uh, um, a cameo as a voice of an alien in the film. So it's a very brief little thing, but it's fun. And if you watch the movie, maybe you'll be able to hear and pick out Joe's voice in the movie. And that's the first time I'm revealing that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Awesome. Yep. Nice guy. Very talented, multi-talented guy doing a little uh, cameo in uh, episode eight. And you know what? We had, what we had Daniel Craig in episode seven. I think there were a couple others that probably, if truth be told, were under some armor. Uh, Daniels was kind of in your face because he has that unmistakable voice now that he's become right. 007. We all know that voice, Daniel Craig. But, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to reward some friends. And, uh, hey, if, you, if you're if you Ryan Johnson's friend, if he, if he was my friend, you better believe I'd be under one of those helmets or I'd be doing an alien voice. No question about that. And I got to tell you, I can't say enough about the movie Looper from Ryan Johnson. Uh, it's a it's a time travel film, but it's it's so clever and just really makes you think. And it's with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Bruce Willis. Once you start watching it, you'll be hooked. I promise you that. So uh, in the you know we got ninety days until the Last Jedi. Give yourself a little Ryan Johnson infusion and check out Looper. It's really a good film. I can't recommend it more. All right, Mark Hamill was on hand for the uh, GQ event, the Men of the Year Awards, and he actually got the award for Icon. Um, you know, these it's, it's, it's one of those things where people just get together to give themselves awards. But this was clearly, I think, something that meant a great deal to Mark Hamill. Uh, GQ, a well-respected publication, and uh, they've been doing this for quite some time. And for somebody like Mark, who, you know, kind of drifted off into obscurity to be kind of thrust back into the mainstream and to receive an award like this, I don't think the moment was lost on him. And uh, we do have some highlights of his acceptance speech right here. So here's Mark uh, winning his award for uh, Icon of the Year. Thank you so much, Dylan and, and GQ, for this award. I know what you're thinking. Mark, do you have any advice on how we too can become icons? And it's really rather simple. Step one, blow up a Death Star. You will gain the goodwill and deep gratitude of untold millions, and it'll last a lifetime. Now, once you've established yourself as an icon of virtue and heroism, like Luke, go for the Joker, an icon of 
villainy and depravity. And, of course, if you've accomplished those two steps, step three is pretty easy. Get your likeness on a mountain of merchandise. <laughs> Become a Pez dispenser, a pair of underoos. <laughs> <laughs> That's how to do it. See, it's easy. Anyone can do it. <laughs> Mark Hamill, professional development coach. I think that's his next uh, next career. But uh, yeah, Mark never taking himself too seriously. He realizes that uh, you know a lot of it's talent and a lot of it is also luck and being in the right place at the right time. And um, clearly, uh, talent won out here when the case of Mark Campbell, but. Also, a little bit of luck never hurt anybody. Uh, after the awards ceremony, he was, uh, I'm guessing, working the, the press line, and there were questions about uh, his life and um, what that event that he just went through meant to him. But here he is talking about the person who had the biggest impact on his career. The man of, the, of my career is George Lucas, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, that's part of my morning ritual. I get up and I get my coffee, check my email, and thank George Lucas. <laughs> He's not the only one. That's right. I was going to say, don't we all? Don't we all? Now, Simon Pegg, I believe, Jim, was the one who uh, introduced Mark at this right. award show and was the one that gave him the award. Um, so here is uh, Mark with Simon Pegg uh, talking about, I don't know if you saw this. In fact, I'm looking at my six-inch black series uh, Jedi Master Luke uh, figure right now, but there was uh, one that we, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this online, but apparently there was one where the registration uh, they call it the registration on the the, the figure was um, not real good, and so consequently when the figure was being produced goes through the assembly line and the paint um, for the eyes got screwed up, so you had one eye that was dramatically lower on the face of the figure than the other eye. Right. It was like beneath the cheekbone. It yeah, was, right. It, it one like, eye was normal, and the other eye was, was drooping down like he was uh, Igor. You know? Yeah, Igor or Sloth from the Goonies. Take your pick. Uh, <laughs> Marco uh, had some fun with it on tw Twitter, and here he is talking about it at the GQ Men of the Year Awards. They contacted me from Lucasfilm. They said, did you do that or do you own it? I said, no, I just saw it online. I hope I didn't bother anyone. I just thought it was funny. I said, I don't know whether it slipped by quality control or someone <laughs> altered it. Crazy. But yeah, i, I got to okay, be I careful. You don't want to upset the mouse. But you're right. It's going to be worth a fortune. <laughs> That's what I said. Same as the Boba Fett with the, the thing. That yes, exactly. With the firing. <laughs> you know, yeah. launch, right? I have a suitcase full. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Pegg. Has yeah. a suitcase of rocket-firing Boba Fett's. And Weird Eye um, Luke's, perhaps. And Weird Eye Luke's. But, yeah, no, we'll put that picture on our Facebook page in, in case anyone out there is listening to this and you haven't seen the funniest picture of an action figure you'll ever see. It's it's Luke, but the eyes, one <laughs> eye's perfect and the other eye is, like I said, beneath the cheekbone. It's yeah, hilarious. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think it's funny. Lucasfilm or, or somebody, he said Lucasfilm, they got a hold of him and said, oh, my God. Uh, you know, <laughs> they were all concerned. <laughs> yeah. He thought it was funny. It was just something he right. saw online. And they, they, they probably have sent, like, 
a palette of Luke Skywalker action figures with the eyes painted correctly yeah. directly to Mark's house in Malibu. Oh, I, I, there's no doubt. In fact, I just read an interview with uh, some of the members of the Hasbro uh, Star Wars team. They had their big event in uh, Rhode Island, uh, HasCon, first time that Hasbro's had its own convention. And the, the team was talking about this very issue. Now, they didn't mention the Luke's, you know, the Weird Eye Luke figure um by name but they did talk about how they, they know that that's a problem and um jim the they, this was kind of interesting this is getting a little uh down in the weeds here but the the qui-gon Jin six inch figure mm-hmm. um they were talking about one of the challenges with that is that you know uh actor liam neeson has a very prominent brow line and a very prominent nose, and it actually, oh, yeah, sure. it, it, well, you, know, you know, you know, yeah, sure, you know, it uh, runs in the family, if you know. It's, uh, I said, George, you know, we have to light the brow just right, you know, to, to make me look venerable. I have to look venerable. I'm a venerable Jedi master. You know, he said, you know, security, escort Liam off the soundstage, you know. So they couldn't do the eyes. They couldn't print the eyes the way they traditionally did. So the eyes were actually a separate uh, piece uh, that, that, that fit into the figure in a different way. So that sort of led them to, you know, what are we going to do to fix this problem and, and the, the registration and all that? So I don't know if you saw any of the, 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 the uh, photos that came out of, I believe it was San Diego Comic-Con, where they've got some new technology that they're going to be using for the sculpting and the 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 uh, the, the painting, the register, what they call the registration marks, that create an almost lifelike version of the actors. They they showed off a couple. I believe they showed off a uh, a Tim Morrison uh, clone trooper as well as a uh, Daisy Ridley Ray figure and the the it's incredible really the the detail yeah so this is new technology they're going to be using for the six inch black series uh starting later next year or early next year and uh it's going to really change the way that um you know these figures are made and it's going to make them remarkably more consistent they said one of the biggest challenges is that because they do so much sales mail order that you don't have an opportunity. Jim, you've been there. You've been in the toy aisle and you got two or three of the same figure and you're trying to get the best looking one, right? The one that doesn't have any weird paint uh, chips or, 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 or errant brush hits or what have you that has the best looking face. You've been there, right? You can't do that online. Oddly enough, I'm looking for the Luke Skywalker with that wonky eye now. I just, I, it's become a, an obsession with me. I, I can't help Luke. it. Gotta have Weird Eye Luke. All right, so Harrison Ford, he, uh, speaking of GQ, he's on the cover of GQ, and he's out promoting Blade Runner, what is it, 2049? Yes, is that it? yes. Blade Runner 2049 with Ryan Gosling, and uh, Harrison Ford, 75 years old, and gives a very, very lengthy interview with uh the folks at gq and it, it really it, the whole thing is worth reading because it's just oh yeah you just picture jimmy max harrison ford voice the whole time in fact Jim, maybe you could just read the whole interview and say, and release that as a podcast i would listen to that um, well here just just from the beginning he says uh 
Where's that part where he's talking about uh, his breakfast? Uh, let me see here if I can <laughs> yeah. find it. Because uh, I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed this interview a great deal. Harrison was uh, standoffish. He was charismatic. He was grouchy. He was everything you want from uh, Harrison. Threatening, Ford. even. Threatening Threat- the yes, reporter at one point. <laughs> He's very protective, and, you know, who wouldn't be? He's very protective of his young son. He has a 16-year-old son with Callista Flockhart, and he um, apparently sort of, uh, you know, off the cuff gave a certain anecdote about his son, which which could have, you know, I, I, you know identified him maybe where he goes to school. I, I don't know what the situation was, but he, he apparently told the reporter that if he actually reported that, uh, he would kill him. And he said, <laughs> now. I will kill you. I will kill you now. No. <laughs> the rumble is like shaking the Richter scale. <laughs> but um, yeah, here's it. It's a great. And, and the photos that accompany this interview are fantastic. Jason, you said he's 75 years old. He looks fantastic. Yeah. He's uh, wearing some amazing uh, wardrobe. He, he's the fashion sense. Uh, look at his arms. He's been working out. He's. Very active. He's uh, living life and having a great time. He talks a lot about his upbringing in Chicago, which I really appreciate. Yeah, he actually said and he was he was picked on back. In yeah, the day, they, yeah. They sense. said they, they he got rolled down a hill every day after <laughs> school or something. And uh, I know where the school is. Uh, that he went he went to uh, I believe he went to to Maine East, which was a mere twelve fifteen minutes away from where I grew up. So I might I might actually go back to that campus and actually try to find the hill that they rolled him down and and I'll give it a little roll myself. Yeah, maybe it's good luck. Maybe it's good luck. You get or chucked maybe, down that hill. Yeah, I mean look what it did for Harrison Ford. But it is a really really great interview and they do touch on Star Wars briefly. But most notably, they talk about his future in Star Wars. So the question was was thrown on to him from the interviewer. Uh, who, who interviewed him, by the way? Do we have the, the guy's name? Because he did just a fantastic job. This is such a well-written and well-executed interview. Yeah, it was. Um, it's Chris, Chris Heath. Heath. Yeah. Chris Heath. Photographs by Peter Happick. And uh, the, the photographs and the interview are, are so great. And this is my recommended weekend reading for our listeners. you you, you got to track it down at GQ.com. They have the whole cover story interview. But uh, the interview asked him, um, when it comes to Star Wars, given the nature of science fiction, are you absolutely, incontrovertibly, and then Harrison says, dead? And the interviewer continues, finished with Star Wars? Um, I mean, I'm finished with Star Wars if Star Wars is finished with me. And if Star Wars isn't finished with you? Uh, I can't imagine it, but it is science fiction. He pauses and considers what he had just said, maybe realizing he's leaving the door a little farther ajar than he means to. Uh, I'd rather not. You know, at this point, I'd rather do something else just because it's more interesting to do something new. Bring on Blade Runner. (laughs) (laughs) In Indy 5. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Something else, but it's something else. You know, it's it's funny because when I read that, I immediately went Mm. back to one of the stories that was... We actually never really covered this. You know, there's just been such an onslaught... 
and we kind of had to pick and choose. But this was uh, one of the pieces that ran in uh, the, uh, Anthony Bresdikin's latest review of uh, a roundup of, of uh, Last Jedi stories, and and they talk about Kylo Ren and and you know Ben Solo and what where he's at in this film. And one of the things that they mention is that, you know, his murdering Han Solo um, is, is continues to eat at Ray. And so th- th- this becomes a much more personal battle, really, between the two of them. Um, she really is <laughs> holding a grudge, uh, and rightfully so. Um, so he's not just a madman, random madman terrorizing the galaxy. Ray has the grudge. He stole her from her, her father figure that she'd been searching for her whole life. And there's mention that, you know, he said, Ryan Johnson has said that although his character is no more, Han Solo's legacy lives on in this film. Han Solo is a pivotal character in this film. So um, what does that mean? Han, a force ghost, some sort of ghost. And Johnson says, well, not lit- not literally. He says, I don't want to misguide. I have to be very careful with my words here. But a figurative ghost of Han had to be present throughout this entire film. So when I, I go back and I, I think to that comment by Ryan Johnson, I hear Harrison, you know, doing what he's doing here, kind of leaving the door open. Um, I can't imagine it, but, but it is science fiction. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather not. You know, it. I just wonder if perhaps the door is being left open. Um, it's not the first time that we've kind of heard some rumors about Harrison, you know, whether it's a cameo, a flashback, something. Maybe it's a disembodied voice. We know that the loss of Han Solo is a... Very, very difficult um, thing for Ray to endure, as well as Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. It's haunting him. Did mm. he make the right choice? Uh, he knows that Snoke knows that he's gets pulled to the light. He has doubts. So, oh, I love the conflict. Yeah. Well, the the conflict makes for great drama. Yeah. I like how you mentioned, will we see Han or hear Han Solo in a future Star Wars film as a disembodied voice? And I just, you know, I'm thinking to myself, uh, run, Luke, run. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he talks to Luke and, you know, via the force, you know. Right, right. You'll, you'll go to the Dagobah system, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> Well, speaking of Han Solo's voice, we do have some audio here. This is uh, from a GQ promo video that Harrison Ford cut for his big uh, feature spread here. And uh, he does talk about um, revisiting the same characters over and over again. This was uh, our idea of the intention of rebooting every successful franchise you've ever done. And I said, you bet your ass I have. So this cover story comes out just in time for Blade Runner 2049. Let's start with the $64,000 question. I mean, this is the third film franchise you've returned to, this one 35 years after the original. So what? Well, I'm just wondering. You what got is- a problem with that? It's a living. <laughs> How does it make you feel that audiences want to see you return to these roles like Indy, like Han Solo, like Rick Deckard? Feels good. Feels really good. 
<laughs> These characters mean a ton to your fans. Do you feel nostalgic about returning to them? Or do you sort of try to approach it like, well, this is almost like a new character that 35 years on, I'm not gonna be the same person that I am now. It's the same thing, only better. I heard that you punched Ryan on the set of Blade Runner. He stepped on my foot and I just tagged him. And he went out like a light. Now, on the Star Wars movie, a hydraulic door fell on you and you ended up getting... Fell. Fell my ass. Smushed, I think, is the technical term. <laughs> you and Steven Spielberg reuniting for fifth Indiana Jones film in 2019. Is there anything we can say about <laughs> Indy at this stage in his life and what he's up to? Uh, uh, no. Indy, Deckard, or Han Solo, which is the most fun to play? Don't really have favorites. Your earring. It's out. Why? Because I lost it. There was a bit of a runway mishap a few months ago. Are you still flying as much? Or? No, I fly all the time. If you're watching TV and one of your old movies comes on, do you watch? Yeah, sometimes I watch a little bit, not a lot. How does it make you feel? Old? <laughs> Is the experience of coming back to Blade Runner at all comparable to coming back to Star Wars? I'm a little sentimental, but I'm not nostalgic. What? That's a good way to do it. F*** you. <laughs> that a good start? All right. <laughs> he certainly oh. is embracing his curmudgeon nature, you know, at the age of 75. It, it almost just uh, slides off of him with the greatest of ease. Yeah. You know? he, he, does, is one of, he does. He does. He raises being a grouch to the level of an art form. I mean, he, he really does. does. He does. And he knows what he's doing, too. But, you know, to see him in that video, he, he is smiling a lot of the time. You could tell that he knows his audience. He knows what he's doing. And he's just having a good time. And, and that's what I think is really important to Harrison. Other than maintaining as much um, uh, forward motion that he can in his career, that's really key to him. He wants to be active. He wants to keep working. He realizes he's part of a very elite group of Hollywood actors of his age who still find work. I mean, you could count them on one hand. Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson, and uh, Clint Eastwood, and Harrison Ford. I mean, really, when you when you think and Nicholson about, hasn't been seen in ten years. Right, right, right. In the movie, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, Clint Eastwood. He has to make his own movies. Yes. And Warren Beatty. Well, he, he has to make his own movies too. Yeah. 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 And and Harrison doesn't have that luxury. Right. He's not a filmmaker. No. He could probably build a set, <laughs> but and he's I not going to be able to build actually, the film. I actually think that Sean Connery retired. Around the age that Harrison Ford is now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But I don't see Harrison slowing down at all. No. I think having a wife half his age really helps. And, uh, you know. Um, I'm sure it does. <laughs> you know, when we're. When I'm we're sure it helps a lot of things. Over. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps him young. But, I mean, he's in great shape. The, like I said, check out the GQ.com interview. The whole cover story. Harrison looks fabulous. Some of the best pictures I've seen taken of him in years in this spread. And, and just some really great insights. He's, he's standoffish throughout the entire interview, and that adds a lot of entertainment value to me. So uh, Harrison Ford is, I mean, he's truly, uh, 
He's, he's a gift, man. And, and the fact that he's still out there and he's still doing it. We got Blade Runner coming in uh, just a few weeks. We got Indy on the horizon. Uh, boy, uh, like three years away from now. And, and I'm sure Harrison will be filling the time with other films and projects and, and uh, cool stuff. And, and you never know. There could be another. There could be a Han Solo cameo in there a could future be. Star Wars movie. The, the disembodied voice. That's the one I like the best. <laughs> The All force right. is with you, Luke. <laughs> How inspiring is that? All right, we're going to go into the cantina. I'm thirsty. I don't know about you, but we're going to go in with Charlie Ross. Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina. Where are you going, Master? For a drink. Sorry about the mess. You'll never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. <laughs> Hello, Charlie. Hey, how's it going? Should I be on hey. video or should I be just audio? Oh, yeah, just audio is fine. Yeah, we're oh, unless okay. you're going to entertain us. <laughs> well, if these if these uh, sideburns don't entertain, look at that! <laughs> look at those serious mutton chops, man. Check out the hair, eh? You're doing the you're going to do the one man Elvis trilogy? No, no, I'm doing I'm doing a one man Pride and Prejudice, so it's set in uh, oh. like 1810, and this horrendous look that the 70s could rock when you put on the proper costume for the 1810s, it looks right. It's ridiculous <laughs> somehow. Yeah, so let me get rid of this nightmare, and I'll just be on audio. Hold on. Okay, that's cool. There that's you go. Cool. Now, all right. No more distraction. No, I'm, I'm, All right. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed now. I was, <laughs> I was enjoying the visuals. <laughs> it's well, well, nice, well, to, nice to have you joining welcome us, back. Charlie. It's been a while. No um, doubt. And uh, gosh, I, I don't even think I was even podcasting with Jason when you were first on the show. I don't believe so, no. No, it, it was goes just... back 10 years uh, at least, I think. Well, probably nine or 10 years when we had you on. You yeah. were making a, a stop in Akron back in the. Uh, yeah. Oh my God! We were Akron, doing that other yeah. podcast. Yeah. Now, uh, when I did Akron, that was yeah, that was well over a decade ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Mother of God. Yeah. Do you know what? I stayed? I, st- I stayed in the um, the Quaker Oats um, old uh, sort of silos. Like they, yes, they, you did. They, did they turn into a hotel? <laughs> they did. So well, it, was, it, it, it was like being in a nightmare because <laughs> everything was circular. Yeah, it was sort you of. It was out of The Shining kind of uh, <laughs> that hotel, but they've they've since turned it into dorms for the university. Oh, so, so they, they can they can go slowly mad, I guess, right? <laughs> Beautiful. That's right. All work and no play, you know. Yeah, at the University political of science. But it's it's great <laughs> to have you back. It's great to know that after all these years, uh, you're still out there doing your thing, and especially given the fact that I, and I wouldn't say that. I mean, we've been podcasting about Star Wars for the last ten years, so I don't think Star Wars has never not been relevant, but. Yeah. Uh, it it certainly is having uh, experiencing a, a renaissance and the popularity is 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 you know off the charts. So what does that mean for a guy that has the only officially endorsed one man Star Wars show? Well, it was it was scary back in uh, was it two thirteen two thousand thirteen or fourteen when I guess it was two thousand thirteen when I first heard the uh, the news that Lucas had sold to Disney and. Uh, I was in Ireland doing doing a, like a tour, so I I read this you know scrolling and I thought oh my god I'm dead I'm dead this is it <laughs> so you know I would die in Ireland or something like that mm. but um yeah it uh, I was terrified at the beginning because I didn't know what that meant for me 
and I've soon found out that it didn't mean anything for me at, at the moment because it was a huge transition, right? Yeah. So, of course, and all the wonderful, you know, all, all the wonderful films and everything that they're doing, of course, makes Star Wars more than relevant uh, than it's ever been. I don't think I've ever been as busy and uh, on an international scale, too. Mm. Like this, this year I've been to Malaysia. And that was kind of that was kind of wacky. It's kind of funny because it blew it open in in a weird way too. Because um, I didn't really have a, my license all worked out with with Disney yet, and I was trying to communicate with the five hundred first over there in in Malaysia, and they they were trying to get information from Lucasfilm. It's it's like this is a lot of hoops to sort of jump through. Sure. Um, but I actually had some old emails, and of course, the old emails are the best emails, you know, addresses. <laughs> I, did, I call up Steve's hand suite, and within about twenty minutes, it was it was all settled. It was all on wow. its way, you know. So I mean, Perfect. good old Steve. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. What a great guy! What a great no guy! Question. That uh, was the right call to make. Yeah, for sure. When you're in trouble, when no one yeah. else can help, you need <laughs> yes. to call Sansweet. Sansweet. <laughs> That's why I'm ringing his phone off the hook all the time. Right, man. Because we're well, always in good. trouble. That's why. <laughs> uh, if you're not in trouble, you're not having fun. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. Well, so totally. so uh, I, I guess in my mind, when you were you know telling this story, I was thinking, oh, gosh, mm. here's Charlie in Bob Iger's office. Yeah. You know, having to like do this thing and he's like, yeah, that, that, do it. can no. you do it in 10 minutes? Do it in 10 minutes and I'll let you know. I, you know, I had invitations to do the show in the park numerous times and that was actually the big sticking point was that they wanted me to do the show like six times a day. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. have you seen, have you seen the show? <laughs> I mean, I would, I would make it a week and I would just be dead. That would yeah. just be buried right there. Six you know, maybe times a day. My yeah, goodness. Yeah. They're thinking, well, much. it's only an hour. <laughs> right, but this is it, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I had suggested that maybe we break it down, and I do two full performances, but you break it down into like twenty minute increments, right? Yeah. So, but they, they thought, oh no, people aren't going to stick around for long enough to come see the next twenty minutes, and that, right. that might be true. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. I just, it, it was crazy. A couple times, you know, there was the opportunity to do it, and now I might have the opportunity again. Um, but I know I won't be able to do it six times. Maybe when I was young. But now there's no way in hell. I'm, I'm just doing like I'm doing like you know one man terms of endearment. Oh, you know stuff that doesn't have any movement at all. <laughs> terms of I bet that packs the house. Mm-hmm. One man terms of endearment. They're all dead. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> what mausoleum are you doing the show at this weekend, Charlie? No, I just I, I go to the morgue and you know do the show. It's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a stiff crowd. It is totally, man. But I corpse on stage all the time anyway, so there it is, right? Charlie, I was trying to to remember when uh on the on the show last week we were we were talking about having you on uh this yeah. week and I was trying to remember your story and, and, and what I remember of it and it was mm. I think over a couple of drinks after the after the show in Akron ten years yeah. ago. But I recall yeah. you saying that as a young man, uh, you you traveled quite a bit. You were in different places and yeah, were yeah. watching Star Wars on TV quite often. Uh, yeah, well, actually, we did live on a farm. You know, when I was on this farm, very, very Luke Skywalker-like, you know, and at the time, I thought that was awesome. It was the only awesome thing about being on a farm was that I had something in in uh, sort of in common with, with Luke Skywalker, you know, other than the fact that he got to go into space. But, um, you know, I was stuck on this farm where we didn't have TV reception. We had a couple of videos 
So we had Blue Lagoon, if you've ever seen the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> oh, yeah, Brooke Shields. Yeah, yeah, I'd be thankful I don't do the one-man Blue Lagoon. <laughs> and um, that, would not be, that would not be good. But we had the very first Star Wars film. Yeah. You know, the very first ones. I'd recorded it off the of television, so I had you know, the commercials and everything were, were right there. Um, and, you know, I watched it a lot. Like, I think my mom, she started to keep uh, a record of it. And it was rounding about 400 times. And she said, you can't watch this anymore. You know? Well, no, it was fine because we ended up moving away from the farm. It was kind of a, it was a good thing, uh, moving away from the farm. And we moved to a place uh, near the American border, like a little town. But, you know, there was human beings that were around and uh, <laughs> we could get cable. And they had this new channel called Super Channel, which is in Canada. Super Channel, sort of like your HBO equivalent. And when we bought this thing, uh, this package, you know, that was going to give us movies on one channel, like 24 hours a day, there's like this countdown. You get this sort of cable box and you put it on top of your TV and on the sort of the week leading up to it sort of being launched, you were watching this counting down of numbers Hmm. and you didn't know what the first film was going to be. You had no idea. So, of course, you know, eight o'clock Friday night, the the day is going to open. Suddenly the, the signal starts to come in and it sort of introduces you know how this it, format works and gives you sort of the parental you know uh, warning of, of the following program that you're about to watch and we had no idea and of course it's a new hope you mm. know so they played that and then the next week they played empire on the primetime spot and then the next week they played jedi and the cool thing was is i was able to record off of television a new hope empire and jedi so i suddenly had like my complete set without without commercials, you know, and then I could watch it as many times as I wanted. And of course I did. <laughs> I watched, watched them to death. It was, it was the best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it, being in that kind of crappy place, like, oh man, this farm, it, it, you know, the farm was, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was in Northern Canada. So we didn't really have much time to farm. It was a lot like living on Hoth. It really, really was, mm. you know, so. Um, what a desolate around, place. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there wasn't enough, uh, you know, there was not, not enough sort of life to fill a was it a space cruiser? It just sucked. Yeah, and um, yeah, we we ended up spending quite a bit of time in Hawaii because my dad was building uh, condominiums over in, in Waikiki. So Ooh. the first time I ever actually saw Star Wars: A New Hope on the big screen, because if you remember what it was like when the film actually came out, it was sold out for a year. And this was people lining up every single day. We tried to go see the, the A New Hope in the theater, and, you know, like probably thirty different times. It was completely sold out. Yeah. So the first time I ever saw A New Hope was a double feature with Empire in Waikiki. So uh, I was still young enough to not realize that the story wasn't over, and I was kind of bummed out because you know it, it sort of felt like I was ending it on a, <laughs> a really oh, lame note. Yeah. Well, totally, you know, like Hans a he's a popsicle and Luke's missing the hand. And I think he's going to marry Leia or something. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so, you know, you're a stupid kid, you know, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I think by the time I was on the farm, I'd, I'd figured it all out, of course, because Jedi was out. But, uh, you know, you, you had to sort of live on what was in your head and in your imagination. That is really what the fire or the spirit of what this show is and has always been, is the fact that, you know, there was a, there was a time when I had just nothing but, you know, the video of the first film, my memories of Empire and Jedi, I had the novels, the little novelizations, and that was fantastic. 
But, um, you know, it, I guess the weird years I spent on this farm kind of spurned me into a, become a bit of a super dork or wow. something. From you know? farm to Hawaii. Yeah. It's really, so you were there in Honolulu when Pyre was released in 1980, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. then you yeah. saw the, that's when you saw A New Hope for the first time on. Yeah. The, the, the double feature. Yeah. I mean, on the big screen, I'd never yeah. had an opportunity to see it on the big screen. So, you know, of course, I'd seen it a lot already. Um, but, yeah, to see it in that sort of format, my God. Yeah, I, I know that's what people talk about when they saw it originally when it first came out, just how there was nothing quite like it. And I actually think at the time they had already um, improved some of the special effects for the later prints. Um, for sure. Because, you know, there's people I know that saw the very, very first ones and they said there were still a, a few clunky things that seemed to have been fixed. And they're not sure if they actually remembered that correctly or, you know, or not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Because I, I always hear, one. there's always uh, friends of mine who claim they saw the scenes with Biggs Darklighter on Tatooine. No, they they swear no. to God they saw that in the theater, and that was never actually theatrical. No, the, the, stuff, the stuff they said it was like R2's, the movement of R2's sort of opening his, his um, like when he actually sort of tosses his one foot forward and actually begins to cruise away. There was a bit of a clunkier uh, sort of special effect that had been done, so yeah, they cleaned that up. And I don't know, man. Like maybe it's just maybe they just had sort of the original versions of it or something, and it was on a documentary about S Star Wars. You know, people people's heads get messed up. They right. remember things in they ways do. that they weren't actually were. You know. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, we you know, Star Wars was you know, probably one of the first real multimedia experiences. Hmm. So you had novelization, you had comic books, you had view masters, you had the film, um, and you, documentaries on TV. And, and, and we've yeah. kind of, you know, there was sort of a, you were mentioning Steve Sansweet and we had Steve on, hmm. and he was talking about this phenomenon, Jimmy, maybe you remember where it's like the, almost like mashup memories that yeah. you hmm. have. Yeah, sure. for sure. It's just like the kids who would come to me and say they saw the Biggs Darklighter anchorhead scenes. And then you, you start thinking, well, you know, they're probably confusing that memory with a Marvel comic they read in 1977. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, and that's it, though. But it, it was the first time I can really think of where there were suddenly, I mean, there was fan fiction not too far, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, the original offerings of Star Wars. You had the toys. You had everybody imagining in different directions, like kids were playing this stuff, not yeah. just playing it, you know, uh, you know, just with their their bodies, but they had all the bloody toys. Mm. So you could go, you go anywhere, and and if you did ever get the little novelizations, there were sometimes a few little tidbits that were in there that weren't quite in the, you know, weren't quite covered in the actual films. So that gave you little bits of information. It, it felt like information. It felt like gold. You know, it's it's sort of like Lord of the Rings. You know, when when there was more stuff to read, more stuff to find out. And I don't it doesn't matter if you're a Lord of the Rings fan or not. But th this was like a world that had all these little sort of hidden valleys where there was things to be found. And Star Wars is kind of the only thing I can think of where it truly is a universe. And even though they can kind of wipe a whole universe from being canon, it still exists. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, and then, and our our experiences, as vastly different as they might be, um, there's still a validity to everybody's experience of Star Wars. Um, 
and I, I never get tired of talking about it because yeah. everybody, everybody's had a different one. And it, it feels like I've got a passport sometimes that we belong to a country that we were all born in or we spent a little bit of time in. And we go back to that place. And when we show the, you know, the passport or, you know, we roll up our sleeves and there's a tattoo that we're, we're part of this. Hmm. Um, there's not many things in the world that doesn't cost anything. Uh, it, I mean, I guess it does cost stuff if you want to keep being Steve Sansweet and buy everything. But, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but it, it, it's sort of a free shared experience that, yeah. um, you know, continually gives back over time. I think it gives back way more than I've ever spent on it. That's for sure. No, that's so true. The only price of admission really is your own personal passion for Star Wars. Mm. If you have that, you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, that can be said for almost anything that you're a nerd, you know, passionate about. And um, to me, if you remember how nerd, you know, became sort of synonymous with cool because you would wear your heart on your sleeve about something so you could be a NASCAR nerd. And then you're going to find a lot more people that are going to accept you than if you were, say, uh, a deep, you know, I should say like a, uh, like a Babylon 5 nerd. Like those were sort of <laughs> the nerds, you know, or, or, or like even the original Doctor Who when it was out. I was like, geez, man, that's crazy. Really? I mean, it was awesome. But to yeah. me, Doctor Who was this black and white ridiculous show that was before Monty Python would play on PBS. So That's I would always exactly right. That's right. exactly right. And and that imagine was, how these guys feel now with all these, oh, you know, uh, these fair weather Doctor <laughs> Whovians showing up because you know they got the pretty people on the on the TV now. But uh, yeah, they, you don't remember what it was like. There were nine of I, us that were into that. I was, I toured in the UK a couple of times with a couple of guys that there was one who was our comic and the other guy was, um, was actually this guy, Red, Red Tie Richie, who was my, basically my, my stormtrooper. He was Bible first and he did two or three tours with me where he took his whole entire year's vacation and toured with me. But I didn't realize that Richie and, um, and John Cooper, my, uh, my comedian sort of, you know, pal that I was <laughs> touring with, I didn't realize that they were such Doctor Who, like, <laughs> monsters. And they they would go for days without talking to each other because they got into an argument about something, you know. <laughs> and, but no, but these, these guys were like the old oh school gosh. fans. They the weren't school new school. Hoof, hoof oh, fans. man. That's amazing. And I remember, oh, I remember one day that Richie got something wrong and he remembered it wrong. And he'd gone on for about an hour, you know, just professing that it was absolutely the case, this this point that they were arguing about. And then he realized he was wrong. And he he, he kind of, I think he was weeping silently in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never known that kind of passion with Star Wars. I mean, definitely psychosis. And maybe Richie was experiencing a little bit at that time. But, um, you know, just at the time, it was, it was a long tour. What? But, uh, yeah, Doctor Who is a little bit different, man. Charlie, I'm curious about about your process, and I, I even think ten mm-hmm. years ago we didn't really talk about this. But you know, obviously, it's a one man Star Wars show. You're, mm-hmm. it, it's about an hour long, and yeah. you're not going to be able to deliver every line and every no. uh, you know every cue. When you started this, did you actually write it down, or was your first pass at it just going from memory? How what was okay. the process like? So the first pass, so to speak, um, was actually, I did actually, the first thing I did is I sat down on the computer 
and I tried to write a script. And when I was writing the script, it was for three people because I was doing a show with two other guys at the time. And I thought, well, maybe they could play, you know, this, this, this collection of characters. My other buddy can play this collection of characters and I'll play this collection of characters. Um, and I remember taking them the script, the script and they didn't know what the hell I was giving them. You know, I thought, well, it's, you know, read it. It'll be funny. So you just read these lines and I'll read these lines and you read those lines. And they said, well, what do you mean? So I gave them a line reading, which is something you never do, right? right. It's never good for actors. But I just read how I intended for it to, to work. And they just said, well, why don't you just do that? <laughs> and I went, oh, no, no, no one's going to pay attention after like five minutes. So they won't even, they won't pay attention. So I tried rehearsing it, what I'd written. And I think, you know, my initial treatment at the time, because I didn't even know how far I should go, it really was only kind of the first film. Um, and I tried it in front of a group of people uh, in sort of this kind of comedy type club setting where it was a really mixed bag of people. But I thought if it's if it dies here, uh, it doesn't really matter. But if it flies here, then it would that that would actually matter. Because a lot of things can die, you know, on a, on a comedy stage. Mm. But um, if it does well, maybe I have something. And I tried it. And even though it was, you know, there certainly wasn't anybody that I would brand as a Star Wars nerd out in the audience, people all could keep up with it. And it was really what amounts to probably the first third of the show that I do now. Um so what I did is I formalized it. Um, it's, you know, you, you improvise it while you rehearse it. And then if it works, you, you record it. So you, in other words, you, you write it down. And so I was working from memory because that was the easiest way to, to tell the story rather than sitting down with the video going and then, you know, pressing stop, writing something down, pressing play, and then pressing stop, writing something down. I thought, if I can just write what's off the top of my head, what I can remember of the story, my recollection should be the same as any other person who's at least seen Star Wars or hopefully seen Star Wars, you know, maybe as many times as I have. And sure enough, people have no problem keeping up with it because mm -hmm. Star Wars seems to have affected people's, you know, memories, their long-term memories. People that haven't seen the film for friggin' 20 years still come to my show and they're like, I didn't even remember that part. And then I realized I did remember it. And, <laughs> you know, there's just old, you know, old grandmas that they only watched their, they only watched the trilogy sort of of their peripheral vision, you know, while their kids were watching it and yet they absorbed it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I didn't realize that there was as many people uh, like me and sometimes people that were way more advanced than I was. <laughs> because, you know, the only real arguments, or not arguments, but the only real discussions I've ever had to get into is, um, you know, trying to defend what I've cut out and what I've kept in. And I keep thinking, like, well, you know, you, you could do your own one-person Star Wars <laughs> if you wanted to. I mean, you could, right? <laughs> right. But, but yeah. this, I mean, these, these stories are... It's a skeleton absolutely covered with fat. And the fat is delicious. It's wonderful. It's like marble steak. You know, it's, it's fantastic. 
But when you really trim away all that fat, the story is quite lean. It's quite simple. So you mm-hmm. can you can still put a couple pieces of fat onto onto your story. But when you break it down, like it, it really is about an hour long. You know, it, I'm amazed now watching the trilogy just how long they are. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, they just take a whole bunch of time to do nothing. You know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's exciting, but it doesn't in any way forward the story, including Job of the Hut, man. That doesn't do anything. Well, you know what? I, I think you are, have just this over-caffeinated sort of take on how the story should be told. And anyone can tell that <laughs> when they go to see your show because it's, it's filled with energy. And uh, it's amazing to watch you single-handedly do what you do on stage as far as representing the characters, the music, the yeah. sound effects, the battles, everything. And yes, the way you condense it all down is, is it's really, really interesting. Um, do, do people ever try to like you, you? Cause you mentioned they occasionally will critique you or whatever. Do they oh, ever yeah. try to, do they ever try to correct you? Is there anything that you oh, do yeah. that's off script? Yeah. All the time. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it, it, it was annoying maybe like 15 years ago and it's not anymore. Um, I mean, invariably somebody comes up and does uh, just kick-ass Yoda because my Yoda just sounds like crap. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the worst Yoda ever, and I don't care. I've, I've gotten over it a long time ago. But you know, you meet those people that come up and they just do this smoking, amazing, you know, Yoda, and I think, damn it, you've got that in your pocket, and it pisses me off because when I was a kid, I could always do the Jim Henson voices, and I could never do Frank Oz. So you know, a Kermit the Frog, Ernie, no problem. But, you know, I could never get Miss Piggy. I could never, you know, do a Yoda voice, a Super Grover. Never. You know, it just it, it pissed me off. And there was people that could do it, no problem. Um, yeah, and correcting, sure. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff to correct in there. The one that actually really confused me was the re- the pronunciation of Nyub Nyub. Um, I'm not sure if it's, I don't even know if I've ever pronounced him properly. You know, Nyub Nyub. Um, the the dude oh, yeah. that flies with Lando. Oh, right? yes. nine, yeah. nine numb is what nine people numb. call them. Nine, nine numb. numb. Yes. But I've, I've heard variations on that. I've nine heard numb. even audiobooks in which the narrator will really stress the B at the end of numb. And so they'll call him nine number. Nine but number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what number is it? Nine. <laughs> nine. Nine number. It just sounds racist no matter what you do with it. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. I'm just going to do it wrong. No, I mean, a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're trying to do something as ridiculous as this, um, you, you make edits that because um, you know, I'm considering my body falling onto the ground, which I have to do. And then I have to get from the ground, from the end of a scene, to the next scene where I'm standing totally straight. So I sometimes have to, you know, mess around with just the the order of things, mm. so that um, so that I can actually naturally find myself back up on my feet. And you know, the only way you figure that out is by performing. Like there's there's nothing nothing to it. You perform it. You realize you got to make this cut. You got to make this change. And then eventually, yeah, you piss somebody off, but eh, whatever, you know, so, so far I've never really had anybody, you know, frothing at the mouth, but I, I did actually have, which I always, I, I always cherished this email because it was just so delightful. Somebody just wrote me this complete hate letter saying that 
the fact that I do this for a living was evidence of the coming of the apocalypse. <laughs> was that Roger Ebert? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, just, I knew I just wrote back to the person that I, I didn't realize that the end of the world would work out for me so well. <laughs> it was me and the four dorks of the apocalypse. I'm like, this is not, what do you want? You want me to stop doing Touché. what I'm doing? Like, Touche, man. Hey, well, let me. So you've been doing this, you know, obviously for what now? 15 years? Has it been? It'll be. It'll be actually. Uh, it'll, the total, as far as like his existence, it'll be seventeen years in wow. January. Yeah, wow. which is ridiculous. That's amazing. But you've, 15, you've seen, fifteen years of actual, fifteen years of actual, let's say, constant touring. Yeah, I mean, you've seen yeah. so much, and you've seen Star Wars fans evolve. Are there mm, any mutated. any difference? <laughs> <laughs> Are there any big differences between, say? the fans when you first started out uh, as opposed to the fans now there's another generation of fans that have sort of come into the uh the communities i think that there was a lot of people that were fighting in the fan world uh people that that accepted the um the prequels for what they were mm. uh there's the people that were just you know they were comparing the the old i mean the, the original trilogy to the new ones and you know it a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of a lot, maybe not like you know, killing each other, but just you'd see a lot of people arguing with each other. Uh, and of course, you can see that now with social media being what it is. You can watch people argue forever. Mm. But I kind of find that people are a lot happier <laughs> coming to the show. Like yeah. the kids are happy. The yeah. kids are happy. The parents are happy because I, I, I just got to say it, man. Um, the Force Awakens, you know. Uh, Rogue One, yeah. you know, uh, Rebels. They, they, I mean, there's there's just good stuff that's coming out, and I liken it to sort of the steward of Gondor. You know that uh, th- that there's a stewardship that's sort of this happened now. Star Wars is being given to or acquired and put into the hands of people that can do something that's really special with it. Um, and I, I think that whether or not these people are fans of Star Wars or not, or they're just really good at telling stories and you know making stories and evolving with things like you know Carrie Fisher passing away, like how the how the hell do you make that work? I can tell you how you make it work. You get J.J. Abrams to film the last film because I mean the guy they did that with that show Lost which I think the reason they called it losses is because they never knew where they were going. They were just <laughs> going somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, I think people are really eager to, to, to still take part, but I think also Disney's also very motivated to, to put more material out into the world. And, you know, uh, so far I don't feel like they've really, they've, uh, you know, sort of put out a dud yet, but um, you know, give it time. I'm sure they'll they'll put out a dud, <laughs> and uh, you know, and when they do, there'll be the people that go, "I knew it, I knew it." Yeah, um, yeah. But I just I just find the new generation of people are they're 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 being satisfied. Yeah. Do you and, get um, Do you get a lot of requests for people to say, "Hey, Charlie, you you know, you're only doing uh, at this point." It's soon going to be just just a third of the story. You used to yeah. do the whole story. Now it's now it's just a th- now it's a third of the story. 
people are saying, well, why could you do this to the prequels? I think I remember asking you that yeah. 10 years ago, and I, and I think I remember the answer, but what do you say to those people now that say, can you do this with the prequels? Well, okay, and I've had a lot of time to sort of consider that. What with the prequels, or even with even with the new stuff, um, I'm, I'm up two minds now. I could actually do what would amount to like a director's cut of the show, uh, where it'd be it would be like I would I would do a very small version of the prequels, you know, and then I would do the full, uh, you know, a New Hope, and and then would end with with the later stuff. Um, but there's a part of me that remembers what really did spawn on um, the creation of the show in, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was what I was talking to you guys about, being on that farm, being a, being a kid, having to find ways to access Star Wars that, um, you know, as you, Jason mentioned there, that, or rather Steve had mentioned that there was, it was like a multimedia thing. There was multiple sources to to feed that Star Wars hunger. Um, and, and I kind of find that my show emulates that spirit of analog play where it wasn't, you know, you, you didn't just watch the film and immediately have the novel, the book, you know, the film on order and then all the toys that look better than the film. Like I, you, if you remember what it was like taping a bunch of toilet paper tubes together and trying to build a, you know, a, a lightsaber with with a flashlight. Oh, remember, I just did that two days right. ago. Well, there you go. I mean, it, it still never works. I can still never <laughs> figure out how they how to make it right. But <laughs> I mean, I I didn't have many of the toys. I had a, a butt ton of you know of imagination and uh, a lot of source material. I just didn't realize that there was some somehow some kind of audience for it. People that would actually come to see the show. And I'm preaching to the converted. There's more people that I've met that said, man, I had this idea. And I'm like, I know you did. I know you did. And I think it's, I think it's awesome that, <laughs> you know, that what I'm doing, uh, it's not original. It's, it's what C-3PO was doing, telling the Ewoks the story <laughs> of what they'd, what they'd gone through up to, up to that point to get them to, to join in their fight against the Empire. I mean, that's that's all I'm doing, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a charlatan, you know, a complete charlatan. <laughs> but I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Well, I love you know I love the idea of you know maybe at a at a Star Wars celebration or something you, you might consider doing uh, an, an expanded you know maybe just one night only uh, sure. director's cut because yeah. uh, I think a lot of us would just love to hear the Charlie Ross version of the prequels like what stuck. You know, a lot of it's about what you talk about trimming yeah. the fat and what, what the, the the lean story. And I, I'm actually a fan of the prequels, and 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 I think that there is uh, quite a good story there. The bones of the story oh. are there, and um, you you you've hit it exactly yeah. right. The bones of the story. If you tell the bones of the story, it's an amazing story. I, I can't agree more. I I am personally a fan of the prequels. There's parts of it that I don't like. But it's nothing to do with the overall. Yeah. And if you know, if you've ever done all six movies just back to back in the day, you know, without maybe adding in, um, you know, what's it called, the the Force Awakens and and you know, uh, Rogue One. But if you just do the original six back to back, the last thing that 
is in your head when you see Luke, you know, sort of letting fire to, you know, his father's mask and, you know, all mm-hmm. that. You don't think about Jar Jar Binks or how, or how he might have bothered you right. as a character. And you don't even think about the, the maybe the, the political pace that seems a bit sort of out of place with like a character of Jar, you know, Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have a, a character that probably is appealing to a younger set, and and the political stuff that I think appeals to the true fan of Star Wars because you want to know how did this all work? Like how did yeah. how do things function? You know, how do things get so messed up? Yeah, and I and, think uh, too, the older that you get, the more you will start to appreciate that aspect of the story. You know, how totally. does how yeah. does a galaxy become? You know, so corrupt and 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 all mm. of that. It's just it's 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 fascinating. I've always what I, I think what what makes for me what makes Star Wars stick is that it sort of it has if you let it, it can grow up with you, but yeah, you can't you know, force totally. it. You know, you can't you can't make yourself eight again. You know, no. but if you accept it for what it is, it can have a lot of uh, great power throughout. Charlie, how is development coming along with the one-man Star Wars holiday special? You know, I, I, I've, I've already done it. It's, it's about thirty-seven seconds long, <laughs> and it, it's, it's just it's just the opening credits, and then that's all I that's all I include. Yeah, you, you'll you'll never get that time back again. I, no, I think the, I, I heard the nineteen this, yeah. the seventy-eight the seventy-eight holiday special. I think is evidence of drug use during the seventies. <laughs> and I understand you do that strictly as a mime too. That, it's, whole, it's, that it's thirty-seven seconds is all yeah, mime. It's actually just me looking into that viewer and watching that girl gyrating, dancing, and doing like the, the, the <laughs> Grandpa Chewbacca. Looking for that thing can. I mean, even when I was a kid, I was confused as to what was going on. <laughs> Watching oh, that on boy. the farm. <laughs> um, it was actually before we moved to the farm, so I guess I was lucky. <laughs> yeah. No, I, do you, I mean, if you remember, like when when Jedi came out, there was a there was a series of Ewok movies. You know, there was the ones with like I think. Uh, uh, speaking of oatmeal, uh, Wilford Brimley was yeah. definitely the star. One of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I couldn't be happier. If I would have seen one ship flying in the background, it would have been thrilling beyond reason. I mean, there wasn't, in the 78 special, there wasn't a lightsaber. There was, you know, on occasion you just sort of see, you know, people barely able to stand up from all the drugs they're taking who were in the films. <laughs> Art Carney, oh, you know who God. you are. God almighty. <laughs> and and, and the, the best, I thought the best thing about the 78 special is the, um, the big climactic fight where like it's a karate chop to you know one of the stormtroopers and, and that's it no i mean you're not gonna blow away people you know <laughs> not gonna blow away some some stormtrooper guy and say well merry christmas everyone like you knew it wasn't it wasn't gonna end in massive death but really what I mean, what what could they do they just cash in on it you know yeah. but there's one thing i'm sure that i don't think they'll ever be able to get rid of it and it's it's almost like a it's it's almost like the people that that tell you that they saw you know bigs, you know the big scenes on Tatooine or something, and you know when they originally saw it. There's people that will try to tell you that they saw the '78 special like when it first came out, but it would just be a a horrible nightmare because <laughs> even when you're a, well when you're a kid you would know how bad it was. You, you got to think, but I although I I'm not really sure because I do I do fondly remember the Ewok. 
um, you know, the, the Ewok specials. I was just so thrilled that there was something that was Well, Star just going Wars back to television. that universe, I mean, I was happy just for a, a, you know, cameo on Muppet Babies, you know. Or totally, whatever, you totally. Know, just something to acknowledge that, you know, Star Wars was was still alive. Charlie, before we let you go, um, yeah. and by the way, just a quick plug here, Charlie's going to be in the uh, Chicago area at the Arcata Family Theater at Pheasant Run in St. Charles on Saturday, September 23rd. 8 o'clock p.m. curtain. And uh, Jimmy Mack, I believe you're going to be there? I am going to be there, and I hope to have a crew of Rebel Force Radio listeners and friends with me, Charlie, so we'll be there to cheer you on. Well, that's awesome. If you guys do come along, um, just let me know. Uh, well, uh, if you well, if you need any tickets, number one. Uh, I'm actually doing Friday and Saturday, just so you know. Friday the 22nd and Saturday the 23rd. Um, Tonight. Is that right? Now that's interesting. I haven't seen it advertised that way. I don't know why that would be, but I, you know, it's it's weird. I maybe I don't maybe I don't want to just arrive on that day or something. But it seems no, no. I've got no. I've got got two shows at the same um, venue at the the Pheasant Run. Same venue, man. Same venue. Um, at, at any rate, uh, stick around though after the show, and uh, anybody that wants to come along, I'd be more than happy to talk some. Some nerd person to person. Uh, that's the way. The only reason why, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the reason why we do it, right? That's right. But I did want to ask. I, if I remember the story right, you have mm-hmm. performed this in front of George Lucas, correct? Well, <laughs> let me see here. How how can I quite explain it? Now, I had to submit the materials to the man himself uh, back in the day, two thousand and two. I had to submit these materials and. I have it on good, good authority that because uh, I submitted a five, a fifteen, and a full length uh, version of the show uh, on, via video. Mm-hmm. Uh, he watched. He did watch the five. He watched the fifteen. I do not have confirmation of the sixty. Now I am. I suspect at celebration five that he was able to watch it from backstage. Um, when I came back backstage after doing my show, uh, he was there. They had been watching the, the screens and everything. And I don't know, uh, I kind of, I kind of, I was going to ask, but then I realized that, uh, it took me a couple minutes to sort of realize that sitting next to him was John Stewart and that Mark Hamill had just walked in and <laughs> Carrie Fisher had just came in to have something to eat. So, I very quickly lost any interest in asking that because I just wanted to pretend like I was a fly on the wall and that hopefully they wouldn't realize that I was there. And I was able to stay within their presence for about an hour and just sort of listen to what they were talking about and stuff because they were just there shooting the, you know, the, the, the shooting the, uh, you know what I'm saying? The breeze. The breeze (laughs) amongst themselves. So, yeah, um, I have it on authority that he has seen it. That's um, awesome. But I don't have a hotline to ask him. And, um, <laughs> well, here so, we have him. We oh, have him good, right good. now to surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> on, our, on our special guest line is George Lucas. <laughs> You're fired. You're fired, exactly. <laughs> this is your but, life, no, Charlie Ross. <laughs> no, but you know that the timing for that is really, really interesting because mm. – as George wrapped up the prequel trilogy, he mm-hmm. started to display a very public 
like for Star Wars parodies via Robot yes. Chicken, via yes. Family Guy and things sure. like that. And so uh, I, I'm sure that that was just like right up his alley at that time. I think he shared a lot of his 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 enjoyment of Star Wars parodies with his young son. Okay. He was yeah, just a little I, kid at the time. I think I, I think the thing is, though, is that it's funny that you sort of mentioned that because I remember when I saw George Lucas say, just sort of walking into the theater that I was performing in, uh, he, he was just sort of looking around the convention center beforehand. All I know is that I heard this gaggle of kids making like just this the wonderful noise that only kids can make, where none of them are listening to each other. They're all laughing. They're all yelling at the same time. And they all kind of run into the space and they're just sort of yakking around and they've all got toys and stuff like that. And then I see this this sort of elder gentleman kind of like wandering in, like in no particular hurry at all. And, you know, he's sort of dressed like a grandpa. And I go, wait a second, it's George. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, you know, I found out that, you know, he was just, this was like, these were grandkids or friends of his kids or whatever, you know, and he's just wandering around, not a care in the world, you know, just happy to be him. Uh, the only funny thing I realized is that if you want to know where George might be coming, uh, might be ending up, you have to look for a person who looks slightly like sweaty on their forehead, holding onto a, a can of Diet Coke, because <laughs> apparently if he wants a can of Diet Coke, it's got to be available. And when you're a billionaire, you can afford to get enough people to sweat their brows to make sure that they always have a Diet Coke every 30 or 40 yards, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, Coke me. Yeah. <laughs> George, is, he's the only guy who actually has a soda pop caddy. That's a, what a gig. What a gig. People. Yeah, what happens to all those old Diet Cokes? Do they hold on to them? Do you know? Do they have to get rid of them? You know, do does they that, have to switch? I mean, does the guy have like a utility belt of Diet Cokes? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. But I tell you, I would, I would not want to find out that I was the person getting fired because I tripped and spilt the Diet Coke <laughs> or shook up the Diet Coke when it tripped. And then when I opened it, I got all over George. Oh, you know, man. It'd be straight, straight oh, my plaid. My plaid. <laughs> <laughs> straight down to the rancor, man. That's awesome. Yep. Well, yeah. Charlie, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the program. We've got to have you uh, back on more often. And even if it's just yeah. to, to get your take on, you know, the current state of Star Wars as the new films are coming out. And uh, yeah. would love to add you to the roster of people that we uh, talk to when there's a new chapter in the saga that's been released. So uh, we'd love to, love to talk to you guys. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's it's, you know, these are exciting times that we're in right now. So I for think sure. Definitely talk. For sure. And cool. if you, again, if you're in the Chicago area, don't forget Arcada Family Theater, Pheasant Run in St. Charles. Jimmy Mack's going to be there on Saturday, September 23rd, 8 o'clock curtain. And uh, there may even be a Friday performance the day before, Saturday, <laughs> September 23rd. Maybe it'll be just me doing it for nobody. No, you're right. You know. Dress rehearsal. No, it'll just be me and it's just me in the in the parking lot. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again. So Appreciate it. And, See you uh, next guys. week. We'll talk to Cheers, you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>
Lord Vader. Exposition, 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 exposition. Or for you kids out there, blah, 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 blah. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. Well, what makes you think the sediment's over there? Well, I'm not going that way. That way is much too rocky. Looks like you guys have seen a lot of action. Help me, Wikidobi. You're my only hope. Help me, Wikidobi. You're my only hope. Well, that's good talking to Charlie. It sounded like he was trying yeah. to keep his voice down a little bit. Maybe it's... I, I know, like somebody was sleeping, like yes. the kids were in bed yeah, or something. Somebody might maybe. have been sleeping. But yeah. uh, still, great to talk to him. Or maybe he's just resting his voice for next weekend at the uh, Pheasant Run Theater in St. Charles. He could, well, he is in a show. He was saying he was doing Pride and Prejudice. So he's, he's yeah. a working actor. Yeah, so he's, he's probably just resting those vocal cords. And uh, so uh, very grateful that he took the time out to, to hang with us for a little while. You know, he talked about there at the end about doing the show for no one. The first time I saw Charlie Ross perform One Man Star Wars was on Super Bowl Sunday back in, I believe it was 2006 or 2007. I can't really remember. But it was Super Bowl Sunday, so you know that that's not going to bring a lot of people out to the theater. Oh, boy. On top of it all, it was a massive blizzard that night. Whoa. In Chicago. Yes. But me and my son, Michael, we decided to uh, make the trek to the theater and... uh, you know, foregoing the first half of Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, we saw Charlie Ross uh, uh, perform to a theater of about four people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. It happens. It happens. I, uh, I did. I was doing uh, I was marketing director for a, for an orchestra and we did a concert on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, that's brutal. It's brutal for anybody who's ever had to compete with the Super Bowl. So my heart goes out to Charlie. But you know what? He's the kind of guy that whether it's four people or 4,000 people, he's going to give that top-notch performance every single time. Right. So if you're interested in hooking up with us next weekend at the uh, Arcata Family Theater in St. Charles uh, at the Pheasant Run Resort, just send us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com with the subject line, One Man Star Wars, and we'll add you to the mailing list. I mean, basically what we're going to do is probably just hang out for a little while before the show. I need to determine a location. So I'm working with Arcada promoter Ron Onesti, good friend of mine, and uh, we are going to determine a good place where we can hang out a little bit before the show, then watch the show, and then uh, hang out with Charlie afterwards. So it should be a great time. I'm uh, pressuring uh, some people like uh, Chris Mocked uh, from Real Fans of the Saga. <laughs> yeah. And the other guys from that crew to see if they can come on out. A lot of great Star Wars fans in the Chicago area. So what about Billy Mac? What's Billy Mac doing? Boy, you know, I, Billy Mac has been uh, doing the musician thing lately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and school's back in session. Oh, yeah. And he is a, yeah. a, a high school administrator. And uh, so I don't. I think I asked him about it, and he said he couldn't go. But I'm, I'll pressure him. I'll, I'll really put the the screws to him and, and make sure he can go. But he has been he has been out and about playing in town. And uh, if if you're again in the Chicago area this weekend, the Wooden Nickel in Highwood is having their Grateful Dead Night Grateful Jam on Saturday this Saturday, and you can see Billy Mac playing guitar with uh, the band Dirty Laundry as they do a bunch of Grateful Dead covers. So, unfortunately, I won't be at that 
because I will be <laughs> in Downers Grove watching Michael Mack do a set at Oktoberfest in downtown Downers Grove. So like uncle and nephew, like mm-hmm. it's like dueling band gigs. Yeah. Yeah, and they're both really on my butt to get up and start playing guitar again myself. But oh. I am rusty as the uh, rustiest gate around. Now, does, do, do we ever get to see Billy Mac and Michael Mac jam together? Does that happen? Well, I can't remember if... Did they play together on uh, opening night for The Force Awakens? We did a little musical thing. We uh, did, but I don't remember them playing at the same time. I don't think no. that ever happened. No, I think Bill just did like Star Wars heavy metal guitar, which he's known yeah. for. And uh, Michael led us in uh, a rendition of uh, Weird Al's Yoda. Mm-hmm. And I played mm-hmm. guitar on that. But um, no, you know, that's, I don't know. I, I know they've played like house concerts in my parents' backyard before, but yeah, um, yeah nothing really. Uh, well, we, we might need to make that happen for Last Jedi. That's not a bad idea because I am working on getting a meeting place. It looks like it is going to be Hollywood Boulevard again. They mm-hmm. love working with us, and uh, they have actually requested some music. So I was considering, you know, maybe we could put put together something. Um, you know, Chris Mocked, of course, is a good musician. Uh, maybe we can make something happen for that. So, uh, you know, uh, my musical friends listening to the show, get a hold of me. And um, maybe we can uh, have a little music on opening night for The Last Jedi at Hollywood Boulevard. Again, these are plans that are all in the works right now. Nothing is really locked in stone yet, but uh, things are looking real good. So uh, if you can help me provide some musical entertainment, I'd like to do it with a sort of a Star Wars uh, twist. So uh, maybe we can make that happen. Get a hold of me. You know who you are. Let's do it. Let's do it. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Rebel Force Radio listener meetup. I mean, boy, it doesn't get much better than that. No. Who else would you rather hang out with and see uh, Last Jedi? George Lucas. Yeah, Charlie Ross. Charlie, one man. And Charlie, Charlie Ross. Charlie yeah, Ross. let's see what, see what Charlie's doing. And, and, and George Lucas's uh, Diet Coke caddy. <laughs> so it'd be the the four of us, and then you. That's you know, five. that's the first time. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Now, I I, I know that you know George uh, is a fan of the Diet Coke, but uh, I love the idea that he's got the guy there just at the at the ready, mm-hmm. at the ready, just because he can, just because he can. Like, I wonder how George summons him for a, a Coke. If he like points at him, if he just snaps, um, or, or if, as you say, he just says Coke me. Um. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking that at, at some point it's, it's almost like nonverbal, you know, it just he's just sees that look or maybe that 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 slight shake mm-hmm. in George's arm there. And then all of a sudden it's like, OK, he's going to need one. Here you go, both. Are you thirsty? <laughs> no, I wasn't looking at you. Well, I thought you were looking at me, both. I got your Diet Coke here. It's nice and nice cold for you. <laughs> I'm really not thirsty right now. Well, that is the job. That is the job that you give to your um, uh, your sort of down on his luck relative. You oh, know, the guy that just can't get the stuff together. Yeah, it's like sending Fredo out to run the Mickey Mouse clubs in <laughs> Vegas. Send Fredo to do this. Send Fredo to do that. Send Fredo to fetch the diet cokes for George Lucas. <laughs>
That's going to wrap things up here this week on Rebel Force Radio. Big thanks to Charlie Ross. Don't forget, catch Charlie Ross in the Chicago area at the Arcata Family Theater at Pheasant Run in St. Charles. One Man Star Wars Trilogy, Saturday, September 23rd. Jimmy Mack's going to be there. So if you're interested, send an email. Show at rebelforceradio.com. Subject line, One Man Star Wars. Let's hang. Let's hang. Um, Don't forget, you can get access to so much more Rebel Force Radio at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Shows like RFR Rush Hour, uh, Rewind, Q&A, plus giveaways, early access to RFR events. I don't know, like the last Jedi screening maybe in December. Who knows? All that and so much more at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Also, big thanks to Tops. Good friends of ours, check out this Star Wars Card Trader app. Email address, as mentioned before, show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-320-1RFR. We're on Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. We're also on Facebook. And the official website for all things and everything, Rebel Force Radio. That's rebelforceradio.com. You can subscribe and review Star Wars podcasts like ours at iTunes. Please do so. Just one rule on those reviews, please. Make them good. And you can find Rebel Force Radio streaming online at WGNplus.com. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. We're also an official friend of the folks at Wikipedia. Visit Wikipedia for the ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia. And you can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, and the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. That's it. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you. Always. Always.